Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pact, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Just live. We believe a life is meant to be lived to its fullest potential. In order to do that, you need to feel at your best, both physically and mentally. We founded this community to share what we found as professional athletes that can help people of all walks of life. So you can go out and do exactly what you're supposed to do. Just live. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week is a CEO powerhouse. He held executive vice president and president positions in organizations and entertainment giants such as XM Satellite Radio, Harpo Productions, and own the Oprah Winfrey Network. O O W N. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh, moving to Manhattan Beach in 2011, he took up surfing and immediately became hooked. We know that is. We say it's yeah. the best drug. Surfing's a hell of a drug. <laughs> Which most people do. They became a healthy daily ritual and a balance of life and job stress. I mean, it's a ritual every day. We love it. But for those that didn't know, just a few years later, this Oklahoma native became the head honcho at WSL, World Surf League. Huge. Woo! Yeah. Wow. We are super stoked to hear your story. The, t- the final take on the Final Five Showdown, it lowers in a couple weeks. And what it's, you know, what's happening in WSL here and in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Eric. Thank awesome. you, guys. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having Logan. us down. We're in the beautiful office of the WSL. Yeah. yeah we, we haven't had many meetings here. Because yeah. we're still, like, in this uh, weird post-COVID, do people come to work, not come to work? Yeah. And it's been an interesting thing, you know. Everybody's in the same boat. Yeah, sure. trying to figure It's like, how many days do you come in? And. And, and we're really even a bit more different. Um, we've got, you know, offices obviously here. We've got offices in Culver. We have offices. We have an office in Lemoore for Surf Ranch. We have an office in uh, Australia. Wow. We have an office in Portugal. We have an office in Brazil. And we have a couple of salespeople. So, you know, we're we're truly a global company. And so, yeah. you know, we're always up at different hours of the day. And, and so, you know, we haven't done a lot back here at the headquarters in Santa Monica. Yeah. And we're slowly starting to get back. And That's so awesome. I think you guys are my first technical 
post-COVID outside visitor meeting. So cool. there you go. Great. Well, we're honored. Well, okay, next, get, next, that's a t-shirt. <laughs> next interview will be at Lemoore, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Next one? Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll be there at the end of this interview. You never know. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see. You know, you're reading the intro, by the way. It's like, you know, when I um, – sometimes I hear that, I I, I have this, this like – visceral reaction of like is that what it's going to sound like at my funeral when they sort of like <laughs> well you always like kind of listen to that and, and it's uh, some people are like wow like you did your research and then you kind of like is that really me yeah it, <laughs> no, it, i it, did that, that that's more of me i was like what that was me shit it, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean uh you know you like to kind of pump pump it up i mean and, and we're going to talk about a lot of this sure. stuff you know yeah, your yeah. journey and stuff but yeah i mean it's it's just good to kind of like introduce yeah. the guest and For like sure. who they are and, and the most everybody we interview people know about and yeah. we interview people we know well and then they we find out stuff i'm like you did that or <laughs> yeah. that happened you know like we still are so learning you know every it's day so good. what's crazy is like everyone we we interview is connected to surfing yeah and we ask the same damn questions pretty much yeah. you know all the time it's people's but, journeys but People are different, right? Their journeys yeah. are different, so every story is different. Yeah, and so your story is probably the one of the most different mm. out of our yeah. guests, right? Like, yeah. so take us back to Oklahoma. Like, what was that like? Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> without yeah, without yeah. I mean, going, like, uh, listen, I, I would say, you know, uh, I'm very fond of saying Oklahoma is a wonderful place to be from. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I have a lot of connections back there. Obviously, it's where yeah. I was born and raised. And um, you know, I mean, listen, I was I was born and raised. We weren't like a very well-off family. Um, I was a scrawny little, you know, uh, baseball-playing soccer Midwestern kid. Yeah, you know, that's really what it was. And um, never ate fish. You know, was raised on Swanson TV dinners and fast food. And wow. you know, and. Uh, I was raised on those too. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> the, it, the TV dinner. The, oh yeah, the TV dinner. Yeah. Right. How the, awesome were they though? Hungry, hungry, hungry man. man and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you always had to make sure you cut the cellophane out yeah. of the dessert part because <laughs> yeah. you could overcook. That yeah. it really wasn't dessert. Oh, the, cher- the cherry cobbler. You burn Bur- their mouth. Burn your tongue every yeah. time. <laughs> Same thing. Um, but you know, I, I, it is. It was interesting because I was somebody who, you know, I know I'm open about it. I really, I mean, I had a really troubled childhood. Um, I struggled a lot as a child through parents and divorce and a lot of other things. And it was never anything like drugs or alcohol. It was just very, very, very hard. And when I was 16, I was given a chance to get a job at a radio station. And my first job was to do a radio station mascot called Chuck the Duck. And they paid $5 an hour and you'd put on these <clears throat> orange tights and a web feet and the hat and the whole thing. And you go stand on a street corner in Oklahoma and you wave at cars. And they'd come in for the radio station broadcast that you were doing at, like, the local car dealership on a Saturday afternoon. And parents would come in and they'd buy a car or whatever it would be. And they'd pay me cash under the table. And I didn't understand why at the time. But it was just sort of like, hey, here's, you know, 25 bucks. And, you know, you're 16-, 17-year-old. You're driving your little pickup truck through Oklahoma. And it's like, this is a pretty good gig. You know? So, wait, Chuck the Duck? Not only is it Chuck the Duck, Chuck the Duck actually is in my house today as we speak <laughs> at uh, in Manhattan Beach. My, my 50th birthday when I was at Harpo, um, they located, actually my family at the time, located the costume and had it refurbished. And so I actually have but the original mascot costume I started Wait, career. That's That could have been good or bad depending on your yeah. experience. But you said, yeah. hey, you know, it was probably so fun. You made fun. money. Yeah, so made this money. was a, a local radio station yeah. and... You were saying how people 
what do they do? They, they uh, it was a car dealership too. So or? we would do remotes, right, on this. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. On the weekend, and so like the disc jockey, you know, would be like, uh, we're down here at Lynn Hickey Dodge on 38th uh, and uh, Northwest Expressway. Uh, we've got great Dodge Tacomas for sale right now. Uh, to- and, and if you come by, you get 4% APR financing. We've got free hot dogs and popcorn. And, hey, Chuck the Duck's here. Come down and see us. And so yeah. they do these live breaks, and people would come. And the radio stations used to sell these things called remotes. And I'd do four or five of them over the weekend. I'd go to one car dealership, to a bar, to whatever it was. And, and you the- didn't really talk. You just... No, this is a hit. You waved... Uh- Bro, there's a whole code for the mascots, you know, <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, you can't speak, and so it was interesting. You can do the Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. You can't breach the the, the cone of silence. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a mascot code. So then there was a new a little upstart radio station called KEBC. Both were country at the time, and uh, my father was a sales rep there, and called me up and said, Hey, they've got a summer gig over here, and you know, it's Cody the Coyote. And so, okay. Check the duck to Cody Battle. the Coyote. So now I'm being, I'm being like uh, poached to be another mascot. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, what does Chuck pay? <laughs> you know, Chuck's five. I go, what's Cody paying? Cody pays ten bucks. Wow. So I fired the duck. Yeah. And I went across the street and I became Cody the Coyote, making ten bucks an hour. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, this working thing yeah. is pretty sick. Yeah. You know, because I'm picking up, you know, basically a hundred bucks a weekend. Now as teenagers, so this is seventeen years old. That's good money. It was great money without yeah. having to really do much, except yeah. you know, yeah. hang not out talking. And, you're just yeah. animated. Well, I like, mean, there was there are some health issues that you know it's hundred degrees outside. And you're in fur, <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're sweating. You, you go in weighing about one twenty. You come out weighing <laughs> about eighty five. But so Chuck the Duck was a little less uh, hot. Yeah, because he had or he had leggings. This was like full fur, you know, with boots. And, but what it, what it actually did though, what was interesting is, and it's sort of like a beginning part of the story is it had me fall in love with media because I was watching these disc jockeys take this microphone, they'd speak into it. And then people would drive from the entire state because it was FM radio and they'd come down and I'm like, well, how does that work? And what is that? And it sort of piqued my curiosity and sort of just flash forward it a little bit. Um, I started working at the radio station part-time as a disc jockey. And by the time I was a senior in high school, um, I was doing, uh, I was going to school all day. I was playing baseball in the afternoons. And I was the 7 to midnight disc jockey wow. at the radio station. I was doing my homework in between records. And so that became my senior year. So I never went to prom, never did any of the dances, mm. didn't do any of those sort of things because I was always working. And that one thing led to another. And... I and even enrolled in college. Sorry. Yeah. Disc jockey too. 
were, were you doing a lot of talking? Yeah. Like, so yeah. you're you're Setting developing songs, yeah, persona, right? Yeah, so I'm developing the the patter, as yeah. they would say, and the ability to speak, hold audiences, and hold rooms. Which, as most things in life, you don't know why things happen to you and how it's going to benefit you down mm. the road. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you realize it's like, oh, you know, I'm. I'm doing some MC work for Oprah's tour we had, standing in a stadium of 50,000 people, and I'll walk out and just give announcements and do some intros. Doesn't phase me. Yeah. Whereas other people wouldn't even, you know, get out oh, of the car. Yeah. You know, um, pee their pants. Right. You know, <laughs> but it, it's like, and, and it was because of that. And so when you're <clears throat> you're 17 years old, and you're doing homework, you're a DJ, you're you know playing a record. What records were you playing? They're all like, country. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's all country. And I grew up on, I still love country music. And in yeah. fact, it turned into a big chunk of my career, you know, I became more the station manager and fixing country radio. And I was on the Country Music Association board of directors for years. Wow. Um, my closest and best friend in the world is Scott Borchetta. And he has a record label that I was on the board with for him for 10 years. And still to this day, I still do a lot of stuff in country music. And wow. it's, a, it's a huge passion of mine. Got to know a lot of the artists. So did you have like a, a style, like a... Like a you rap know, style? You know what I mean? Like, yes. No. Your DJs, shtick, what was your shtick? Yeah, you DJs usually have like a, you know, a drawl or a... Sl- uh. Well, I had to lose my drawl. <laughs> because in Oklahoma, everything comes back to you a little bit like y'all. Okay. And everything's fixing. In, and uh, about then, and so you had, this, you had this accent that you had. But when I had to leave Oklahoma, I had to then lose my accent. Mm. And I started running radio stations in different markets. And what a so, trip. I, I was in Oklahoma City for a while, and we, we turned the station around, and then... Uh, was that we, lucrative, like, as a high schooler? Like, you said, yeah. you're, you know, like, yeah. you were running pretty much a five-hour shift at night. I was, and then I became the program director at, like, 20, okay. uh, which was the guy who actually, like, ran the station. And... Did you go to school, to college? No, so it's a great question I get all the time. Um, I enrolled for one semester <clears throat> at Central State University, which is in Edmond, Oklahoma. And I said, well, I'm going to take broadcasting because I was a broadcaster. Yeah. And, you know, I was never a really good student to begin with. And these professors were... Never worked in broadcasting. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're so good, why are you teaching? And I'm making more money than the professor was. He didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And so I dropped out and didn't go. And I just said, my my thesis had been, if at any point I need to, like, go to college, I'll go back. You you already had a four-year degree. Yeah. Thousand thousand percent. You know, on doing what you're doing. And I I had listened, and I was was a student of radio. I just fell in love with radio. Just, like, became, I was, like, head over heels with it. And I... You know, I'd listen to old tapes of out here in Los Angeles, KHJ and Shotgun Tom Kelly and, you know, K-Earth 101 back yeah. when K-Earth was the, 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 the Big Mac Daddy and um, KGB. K-Earth 101. Los oh Angeles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole thing and KFRC yeah. up north. And so, you know, I I realized in just listening and then obviously this was at the forefront birth of Howard, you know, when Howard was coming oh, out shit. of coming out of um, Detroit. Well, it was, oh, was he, he, Detroit? he started in Detroit. He really kind of his breakthrough in Detroit and then bounced around and then huh. obviously wound up in New York for sure at, K- at K-Rock with Tom Chisano. He, um, you know, they talked about college and it's like, it's sort of like, hey, at a certain point you hire experience. Always. Always. You know, and, and so I always say to kids, it's like I think college is, a, is an amazing institution to help you clarify what you want to do as a human. I, I say that for me, I was very lucky that I found my passion at 17. 
and I just continued to follow my passion. And ultimately, that thesis yeah. parlays into so all some of these other chapters, which leads me here to the WSL. But fundamentally, it was the same decision tree, you know, back when I was 17 and 18 that led me here when yeah. I was 49. I mean, we, the common denominator is follow your passion yeah. and put in the hard work, yeah. you know, which you're going to do anyways because you're stoked on learning and, and right. you're into what you're doing. But, yeah, the, the experience your, is everything. Yeah, everything. Did everything. your dad trip out that you were becoming a, a broadcaster? <laughs> um, you know, to be fair to my parents, they I don't think they – um, really appreciated kind of what had happened. Um, I mean, we were very, very simple. My dad was, you know, fought in Vietnam, had a lot of health issues. My mother had been divorced and married like three or four times. Really bad, broken home. And part of what was driving me was trying to define myself independent yeah. of that. And oftentimes, too, I re- realized years later and just doing a lot of work with a lot of people, it's like, I was also spending so much time trying to replace parts of my life dealing with my childhood trauma because I had a lot of childhood trauma that, you know, uh, I'm very open about. And I think a lot of adults, especially a lot of men um, today in their 40s and 50s, try to hide it and mask it. And it bubbles up in all sorts of different ways in relationships with partners or girlfriends or kids. And, you know, and I've done a lot of work to try to do that, to fix that about myself. I think. Part of what was happening when I, I had, I was very, very fortunate to have a lot of opportunity when I was younger, like that radio station in Oklahoma City. And then at 23, I went to Seattle and ran a station there and then got recruited to run a station in San Francisco by the time I was 25. And then got recruited at 29 to go to Tampa Bay. And with each job, I'm gaining more and more yeah. responsibility. And by the time I'm in Tampa, basically at the at Y2K, if you remember that, it was about the 2000s, um, I was... I was reached out by the guy who was running CBS radio at the time and because I want you to be head of all country stations in America. So I did that. Then I went to Chicago and I was there for a short period of time. Then I moved to New York and I was VP of programming for CBS. And as these moves and job ascensions were happening, sort of let me get back to the question. My parents were always proud and they always appreciated it, but I don't think they really quite understood yeah. what was happening. You know, and like, why are you moving again? And why are you going to this? Yeah. And why are you going to that? Yeah, like, exactly. Because they, they probably lived in they lived <clears> the they, same bubble for that's right. forever. It's kind of crazy because, you know, you're you're moving to bigger markets every time. Yeah. Right. Like you move to Seattle and you get noticed there. Somebody hears about yeah. your whatever. But it's just reputation. adding. Yeah. Adding your resume too. like all these different markets have different demographics although you might be playing the same genre or whatever you know that was a country focused the whole time yeah up until um i went to new york for sure because then i had more responsibility um working for a friend of mine named andy Schoen, who was one of the founders of mtv Uh, oh wow and i got to work with a bunch of the old mtv guys at viacom at the time but it was all predominantly country and, and and to your point exactly that it was really about how do you translate the same george Strait garth brooks records to a Seattle constituency, to San Francisco, to Tampa, yeah. to Chicago. Yeah. And that is all through style and presentation. And these were things that weren't taught to me. These were things that I, intuition is the wrong word, but I, trial and error, I developed my philosophy of how to present and what made it different. And, and so that sort of foundation for me as an executive played 
And that, by the way, I got off the air when I was in, in Seattle because I was just terrible. One of the, the, the guy who hired me goes, hey, listen, you're you're fine. He goes, but if you want a career, you need to get off the air because you're not that good. And I'm like, well, fair enough. <laughs> we you know? need you behind the scenes. Yeah, we need you like running the shit. Yeah. And to, to stop getting away from the mic. So, um, and, and, and but it, but it, those experiences sort of build from, and then yeah. the, the other thing when I really reflect back on my career is, and it leads to a really great story at own at some point, which is I would always be turning around situations. Always, I, I was, I didn't know it at the time. But you were I was, the fixer? I was the fixer. Okay. They'd put me in a bad situation and I'd fix it and then we'd like go. Bad situation and fix it and you go. And so. Yeah. You're Harvey Keitel <laughs> from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Well, yeah. It didn't, it doesn't end that well. But yes. But, but, uh, but very much so the fixer. Like, and, and it, it. I look back at it and I'm like, ah, that's why that happened. And oh, that's why that happened. Because yeah. when you're in it and you're sort of present with your life, you're not 100% always clear why things happen. Yeah. You know? And so I try to take a lot of time, especially now that I'm older, to look back at those moments and really unpack them and go. Well, it's what shaped you today. But yeah, you, at the time, you don't really, no. you know, grasp, yeah. you know, yeah. what's really. Because you're just living at, it, you know, you're living the moment. Yeah. And then. When you do look back and reflect on, oh, why, what, why did that happen? How did I get here? Oh, because of everything else that happened yeah. before. Were, were you outgoing as a kid, like as you know, with friends, and were you popular, or were you kind of using your job? It wasn't popular, dude. No, he, like I mean, He's, he didn't. He didn't even go to the prom. I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But that could have been he because shut in on, was, the, on the yeah. radio station. Oh, he was a, working. He's working hard, you know, yeah. every day. Every um, day. Popular? No. Um, was I outgoing a little bit? But I was a little bit of like that nerdy, Star Wars, sci-fi, scrawny little kid. And I bring yeah. that up because it's a, it's a, it's a, <clears throat> to have that online personality that that yeah. you know that that well, radio personality kind of yeah. lets you yeah. be somebody else or somebody that you're not. Well, to, to put to, on a persona. Yeah. Well, for to, sure. to, to that point, and it's a it's a really fantastic point. So most people who follow me know that my real name is not Logan. So my real name is Toppenberg. And so when people Google me, they'll see the names that's out there. It's not a big secret. Yeah. Toppenberg. Toppenberg. It's Danish. Yeah, okay. It's Danish. And so Logan is is was the stage name that I took back at KEBC when I went on the radio. And so uh-huh. what happened was that psychologically, yeah. exactly to your point, there was this thing that I didn't realize was happening. And it was sort of like, oh, all of a sudden Garth Brooks is in town. They're calling Eric Logan asking for backstage passes and Eric Logan this and Eric Logan that. And all of a sudden you realize that, oh, this is kind of fun. I get to reinvent myself and I'm not the dorky kid with pimples <laughs> from, awesome. from, from Oklahoma City. That, that, play, that has a role till you get older yeah. and you try to have family and friends yeah. and colleagues and you're like, wait a minute, you're too different. I mean, it, it, is, it, it is a little bit trippy. When did yeah. you take the Logan name? I took it when I was 16. Wow, sixteen, yeah. Now I've tried to get rid of it, and it's I'm fifty one. Um, oh, I got a great, st- I got a great Oprah story about this one, by the way. It's <laughs> no Wolverine's going to be coming out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Logan. Yes, it wasn't. That was my favorite X Men character, by the yeah, way. You got clear. the beard. Yeah, yes, that's why I grew the beard. Um, <laughs> but it was my mother's maiden name. Is oh, cool. Logan is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Funny, sh- funny, quick Oprah story about this. So she <clears> hires <throat> me, and. Um, I'm running a company with her and, and a friend of mine, uh, Sherry Salata, who's my co-president. And she signs all the checks because she was. This was like season twenty. Who the hell's this guy? Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is, I'm sitting in front of her, da da da, and she's just like da 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 da, and she was like, and it, it was an expense reimbursement check for my move, so it was like fifteen grand or something, right? And 
she's like, and she's like, Eric Toppenberg. Who the f is Eric Toppenberg? You know. So she grabs the phone, calling the CFO, and I'm like, Miss Miss Miss. I'm trying to like interrupt. She goes, No, no, no. I guess so I'm not signing this. Check Miss. And, yeah. and she's like, got one phone. You know, oh to her gosh. ear, talking to our CFO, and I go, Miss Winfrey. She goes, hold on, hold on a sec, Doug. Yes, she goes, that's me. She's like, what? She goes, that's me. Doug, I'll call you right back. What do you mean it's you? So we get into this whole conversation oh about, about the name. So, anyways, it was. Uh, so she's like, basically, it ended with a okay, and she signed the check and <laughs> name. But anyway, it's. Uh, I've tried to get rid of it. Um, yeah, and it's been it's been tough because I've spent three plus decades just establishing in the business world this character if you will yeah under logan and it's hard to be like well my next job i'm just going to be eric toppenberg yeah like what and then people will be like did he die what happened to logan so so it's it's uh it's it's one of your nicknames but it started way back then yeah when you're 16 at the first radio station that's where it came that's where it came from and it followed you through Seattle, Tampa, to New York. Yeah, what a trip. Hundred yeah. percent. So, so, question on like the the music side of being a disc jockey on the radio. Is there pressure from like record companies, or you oh get God. to play, like, yeah. you get to play like kind of what you want, but you got to slide There's in politics what, and what, everything. Oh my like, God! Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the stories of Paola, you know, especially here in Los Angeles when you'd like, like the KHJ years yeah. and the KFRC years up in San Francisco and those things, the Boss Radio era. That was down in San Diego. Um, legendary payola. Yeah. I mean, drugs, cash, the whole thing. Yeah. Epic. By the time I got, yeah, it was, it was get you re- sweet. It was no, it was totally. It was yeah. like you know, what do you need? Yeah. It's like here. Um, what by the time I got into like the music position, yeah. the music um, director position, which would have been the early '90s in country radio, it was fairly tame. But there was a lot of pressure. For sure. You know, and and, and the way it sort of worked for your listeners was that. You had a playlist of a limited number of slots where you'd add a new record a week and then you sort of would move it up in rotation and you would report that list to like Billboard and that's how records would become number one. So it was Mm. always a game of like strong arming the radio stations. And you usually had two slots a week and usually had five records to fill. And so every week you'd take music calls and sometimes it was like Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. It's like, well, what do you got for me? It's like, well, I've got four new tires for your... for. The, the broadcast truck. I never took anything personally, yeah. you know, from a personal side. But for the business. But for the business, yeah. it was sort of like, hey, we're going to give you a, a, you know, four listeners can go on a trip to the Bahamas. And it's like, okay, we'll do that. And you wind up adding a band that's probably playing at the local Holiday Inn right now. Who yeah. knows? You know, so. It's it interesting. Was, I mean, country music has been popular for a long time. Long time. Yeah. It still is. I mean, back in the 90s. It seems like it's more popular now, though. Oh, my daughter and her friends are so yeah. into it. Like, yeah, it, it it all music is cyclical, for sure. right? Um, there was a phase in Oklahoma in the '90s when Garth was out. Obviously, Reba McIntyre, Vince Gill, Restless Heart, um, Joe Diffie, uh, Brooks and Dunn. Those all had strong ties to Oklahoma, and there was this whole thing like what's in the water. In 1995 <clears throat> or six, Time Magazine had a put put Garth Brooks on the cover, and it said the new adult contemporary music was country. Garth still to this day, I think I'm correct on this, is the only artist in recorded music history that sold 100 million albums in 10 years. More wow. than the Beatles. More um, than the Beatles. More than the Beatles in a, in, a ten year per, in a 10 year period. Yeah. Um, and You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Well, actually, you probably heard it in the 90s, but most people yeah. forgot about it, right? Um, but, you know, it, it has had this renaissance as of late. And 
you know, typically the the genres of countries sort of ebb and flow based upon generally other formats. So like when pop went through its, you know, overly, you know, less tectonic phase, country took over. It went through a, a really big rap phase. It took over. And it's all about relatability, yeah. Yeah. you know. So, it, But I love it. They're I, good I storytellers do. and you can actually understand the music most yeah. of the time. You yeah, know? totally. Like, yeah. It's very true. Um, <laughs> it's got to be such a trip, your experiences with, with like moving from big markets to big markets and, you know, like you being, you know, not well-to-do Oklahoma kid. Yeah. And then, you know, you're like, oh, shit. Like, I've been recruited to go to Seattle. Yeah. And then that's Dude, a big city, right? Yeah, I like, was so excited. You'll love this story. Because um, I always talk about, like, follow your passion. It's just, like, if it's passion, lean into it. I was so excited for getting the call. I talked to the GM, and I was married at the time. And... I remember I was like, this is amazing. Thank you. Oh, well, great. Hang up the phone, went back in. And first question was, well, how much are you getting paid? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you just, I'm going. I was so frothy. Yeah. I took it. That was an awkward call. Wow. I had to call him back and be like, oh, by the way, um, hey, listen, no biggie. <laughs> um, and it was like, it was like 75 grand. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Great, great, great. Hung up the phone. I don't know if the job actually was 100. If it was 90, yeah. could I have asked for 85? Yeah, yeah. You didn't negotiate. What, 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 didn't what's the expenses to live in Seattle? Yeah, I like, have no fucking clue. Yeah, yeah, like what's the Zero going rate? Idea. Yeah. Zero idea. I mean, it was <laughs> might have been the worst negotiation I've ever done. Yeah. Well, um, we've had that conversation with a couple of guests, and it's all about, you know, yeah, the froth of the like, froth. oh, my gosh, like I'm moving up. In your mind, you're yeah. moving up, and you're becoming more successful, but it's not about the money, really. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think it just money's great. You know, like yeah. you, but but those final details are pretty damn important. They're, they're kind of important, especially <laughs> if you've got a family and, and things. Yeah. Like that. And, and you know, the, the saying is so true, um, and I still struggle with it every day. Which is like, you, you don't do things for the money; just do things for yourself, and the money will follow you. And yeah. it's like, I mean, that that is such a truism. Yeah. But it's really really hard to live. Yeah. You know. You know, in, in the world yeah. each day. <laughs> Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Especially where we live. Yeah. You know, yeah. like there's expensive parts of the world and in the US, but where we live it's No, it's not cheap. It's crazy. Yeah. It's not cheap in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. FYI. <laughs> yeah. So you go from Seattle to Tampa. Tampa. What other markets? Yeah, Seattle, San Francisco, Tampa. Oh, then I went to Chicago. Then I did New York for a while. Um and then the, you get picked up by Well, actually before I get picked up by Oprah, um, this was terrestrial radio, right? And yeah. I had been very vocal about this upstart company called Satellite Radio. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's never going to work. The <laughs> dumbest idea on the planet. I mean, who would ever want to pay for something that's free? You guys are asinine, crazy, da-da-da. And so I'd like go on these like huge anti because it was a threat to terrestrial yeah, radio. Yeah, definitely. Right? And we were like, no, 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 we're so much better. I know we play 15 minutes of commercials an hour, <laughs> but just sit through them. They're going to be fine. And... Long and beho- lo and behold, the guy that I worked for, Andy Schoen, who um, hired me when I was at CBS, got headhunted for the head of programming for XM Satellite Radio. And he didn't want to take it or do it because yeah. it was in Washington, D.C. And so he referred me and I taught and the, the CEO called me. And I was... Of an, XM. Of XM. His name yeah. was Hugh Panero. Still great friends. Hugh called me and said, hey, listen, I know you don't like us. I've, I've read everything you've said and <laughs> da, da, da. He goes... But do me a favor, just be open to it and see what you think. And I was like, 
yeah, man, okay, whatever. So long story short, I went to the Best Buy, and I'm living in Manhattan, don't have a car, so I rented a car, went to the Best Buy, bought an XM satellite radio aftermarket receiver, put the big iron antenna so crazy. on the top, yeah. and I plugged it in, and I drove from New York to D.C., okay? And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool, some music. A little social to- experiment for yeah. yourself? It, just to be like, I'm going to see what this is all about, yeah. right? So I'm driving, and I get basically to Philadelphia. And I realize the drive has flown by, and I realize I haven't heard one commercial. So good. And at that point, I realize terrestrial radio is really fucked. <laughs> it's it's a, until you know and, and have experienced the other yeah. side, it's pretty annoying. You it's know, you're annoying. like, oh man, I got to listen to the same crap all again. the way down. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, boy, I'm really tired of this country station that I went to classic country because, oh my God, I haven't heard Bob Wills in forever. Yeah. And then there's the 80. And so yeah. you get through all of it. And then when I get there, I'm sort of like turned, and the facility that they had built was something like out of Star Trek. Because my career, my my job at the time in New York um, was, I was flying to all these radio stations being the fixer, right? Mm -hmm. So I was going to, I was getting up early morning, taking these connections out of Chicago and missing flights in the winter and flying into Iowa and Spokane, Washington. I was like, oh my God, it was just crazy. And then, you know, Hugh walks me through, it's all state of the art stuff, you know? And he's like, if you ever need to visit a radio station, just walk down the hall. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god! So I took that job. So, so I took so, that job. Yeah, so what all these hubs, they just had one. Yeah, it was a headquarters out of headquarters. headquarters right out of right out of DC. It was right by Union and, Station. And XM was slightly before Sirius. They kind of came out pretty close together. Yeah. And we were always the biggest. Yeah. But the record show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we had um, we grew it. I got there. We had about a million subs. We grew it to like nine million. Um, but part of what my job was, was to negotiate all the deals for all the talent, all the content acquisition, program the music. And again, back to what you learned earlier, it's like, it was a turnaround. Mm. And so it was sports and it was talk shows, it was news channels. It was, and so I put together the whole offering that we would take to market and sell. And, and then about halfway through that, one of the things I realized was that <clears throat> the subscriber base was extraordinarily male. And it was predominantly male because we were a technology and most early adapters for technology has, are, are generally young men because they're more frothy about it. And we were saturating the marketplace and we knew that we had to grow toward women. And I knew that that was a big part because our radios were starting to become more what we called factory installed into yep. the cars. I mean, yeah. I mean, you didn't have to go buy it. It was just like a button in your car. Yeah. And I said, well, we need to develop a women's strategy. And um, I had a board meeting. And I stood up on the board and I said, so my remnant strategy is, is that we are going to go get Oprah Winfrey and put her on XM satellite radio. And there was some chuckles. There was some guffawing. <laughs> there was like, you're out of your mind. It's yeah. like, you know, da, da, da. And, you know, I was a little bit insulted. So I marched right down to my office. And uh, back in the day when you needed information, you dialed one in the area code. So it was 312-555-1212. And just asked for Harpo Productions, and I basically picked up the phone and and called Harpo and asked for Oprah. So, were the people guffawing because they thought it was a dumb idea, or you couldn't get her? Or or both the latter. No, and, they 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 were like, of course that's your strategy, as it should be, but you're out of your mind. Okay. So one, she's Oprah. Two, we don't have probably the capital to pay somebody yeah. like that person right. that big. And three, she's never going to agree to it. And so I, I was sort of a little bit like. 
this kind of goes back to the Oklahoma kid. Fix like, it over here. Uh, I'm yeah. like, uh, don't tell me I can't do that because yeah. now, now I'm going to do it. So through a mutual bunch of different connections, she happened to be in town for a speech at Howard University. She came through, saw the facility. Um, Hugh and I had a, a great conversation with her. About nine months later, her president called me. We put together a deal, and we launched Oprah and Friends Radio and XM Sally Radio. And it was really a network that had her and Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and all the different doctors on it. And about a year after that, she called me and said, come to Chicago, I want to talk to you. And I thought it was about the radio channel, and it was really about... We need really you. About running me, so. Wow. So Good for you. Going back, though, like, your experience of being a fixer, that was all at CBS, right? It started started the individual radio station. Okay. I mean, because each, because, like, the, the stations that we'd go to were either brand new launches, startups, or really broken ones. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I, there wasn't a station that I had walked into that was, the, I would say, our, arguably, the most mature, best situation that I walked into, I really didn't have to fix anything. I just had to innovate. Was when I did go to Harpo with the show. I mean, you walk into the Oprah Winfrey show at the twenty third year. There's not a lot of already, like, yeah. You know, they've got dialed. But but the but the job she hired me for was very specific about helping diversify Harpo and thinking about what that company would become post the Oprah Winfrey show because she knew she wasn't doing it forever. So and going back to you picking up. The five 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 one two one two. Yeah, did you get a hold of somebody? And yeah, Novana Cruz was okay. her assistant. Left a message, um, and or that's ten, kind of, or, or twenty. Yeah, no, just one, just one. It was just one like, call. One call. One wow. And then, and then somehow through some way, da, da, it you know she was in town. Met a friend of ours, a guy who was doing my content for me, named Lee Abrams. Um, we had a deal with Quincy Jones. Is one of our uh, ambassadors for mm. XM. Quincy's very close to Oprah. You should see this. <clears throat> so that's sort of how it got her there. Circle back around. Then when Tim finally called three or four months later, he goes, I know you also had left a message for Oprah. I was like, wow, how did that actually get on your desk right. after all that time? And it was like very telling because obviously I worked for Tim for a little bit and he retired and I took over his job for his job. But it was a it was a note of like the fact that that actually got there was pretty impressive. Yeah. That yeah. they knew that they had left a message. Well, because you the got the fact you that you got all, all these handlers, you know, you yeah. think there'd be a right. lot of like layers. There, there, There's there like was. so many doors and and gatekeepers. You have to somebody like Oprah, she's like the middle of a of a tree. Yeah, right. Like like everyone wants to get there, but you got to go through all these rings. Yeah, and sometimes and sometimes you know she steps out of the ring and just is at the forefront. Yeah, I mean it's she's she's this is a good idea. She's a she's just you know one of the most remarkable people ever. Yeah. So so. So you, nine months later, though, mm-hmm. that she finally called you, wait, she she got on XM. Yeah, so she got on XM, we put her on, and about a year after the fact, I go up to see her. And um, it's a huge success. It's a great success. Yeah. And it was a bidding war between us and Sirius because we hadn't merged with Sirius at this point in time. During the satellite radio, there was this big content arms race, and it was about who could sell, who could sign things the fastest. So I go see her, and as I go see her, the guy I did the deal with at the time, who was the CFO, Doug Pattison, said, hey, listen, just want to let you know she's going to want to offer you a job. Wow. And I'm like, well, I have a job. And what and, would I do? Yeah, I mean, what would I do? And, and the merger is about to happen at this point in time, by the way. So we're wow. merging with SiriusXM, and I've been in the advanced discussions of like okay what my role would be and 
you know, at the time, SiriusXM, when merged, would be the largest subscription service outside of, like, cell phone carriers in the United States, like, bigger bigger than DirecTV at the time. It had been, like, 19, 20 million subs. So it was, like, a big gig to be the head of programming of that and working. So I get there, and she says to me, I want you to come work for me. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, I want you to come run my channel. And I said, you mean the channel we just sort of did? And she goes, yeah, that's what I want you to do. And I was like, well, I'm about to run, you know, 120 of these channels. You know, why would I stop doing that and do that? So I, I respectfully said, hey, listen, I'll help you do it, make it better. And um, I'm going to stick with this. And, and you could just tell that that wasn't how that conversation in her mind was supposed to go. Of course. She's Oprah. She's, she's Oprah. a winner. She's a winner. Yeah. So I said, no, thank you. And then she was like, huh. And so I left. And I'm across, this is, a, this is a great story, I'm across the street and uh, at the studio saying bye to a lot of people. And I get a phone call from the CFO, Doug, and he goes, where are you? I go, I'm downstairs by the studio. He comes by and he goes, um, Miss Winfrey wants to see you before you leave. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean she wants to see you before I leave? She goes, yeah. She, and, I, and I'm like, did I leave my phone? Did I leave my wallet? You know, what happened? So I go back into her office and, you know, and it's a massive office. <laughs> and she says, she goes, shut the door. And I was okay. like... Wow. So I shut the door, and she, 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 then she sits on the side of her desk, and she said, okay, let's try this again. <laughs> I don't like hearing no. Well, no, it was, it was I, and I was like, and at this point now, it wasn't just like friendly Oprah. It was like. Yeah, business Oprah. It, it, it was on. Yeah, it yeah. was sort of like, okay, <laughs> here we go. And it, we, we had this really delightful conversation, and she goes, so why not? And I said, well. You're offering me one channel. I go, I'm over here with XM, it's soon to be serious, and we're gonna, I'm going to run all these channels. And I just, that's kind of where I want to be. And she goes, okay, it's what I thought. So I'm talking to you about peanuts. They're talking to you about apples. She goes, I want you to move to Chicago, and I want you to be the executive vice president of Harpo Studios. I want you to be the executive vice of the show, and I want you to come work and report directly to me. Wow. And, and that was my word right there. I went, wow. And she goes, what do you think now? <laughs> and I said, well, I think we've bypassed fruit, and we're now onto a big old fruit salad. <laughs> Definitely. No is the most powerful world <clears throat> it was, word in, in the vocabulary. It, it's crazy. <laughs> and, and a lot of times people are like, you turned her down. And I'm like, I didn't thought, I didn't think I was turning her you down. Thought, I, yeah. what, what, I was just being honest. What, yeah, yeah. What, what's best for your interests? And it was like, hey, I, I want to do this bigger <clears throat> project over here. She tells the story. There's a, there's a great clip floating out there on YouTube someplace. Um, where, yeah, exactly, Google it, where I get inducted into, like, the um, Oklahoma Hall of Fame of public schools or something. Nice. Which, still, I have. I think I, think I wrote a check and I got in. I don't know what it was. <laughs> um, but she actually does this little video piece, and she talks about the moment. She talks about this moment. She talks about when I walked out of the room and came back in. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very special moment that I yeah. share with her. Heck, yeah. It's pretty cool. Definitely. That's a huge but milestone. Then I, was, then I was there for four years. Yeah. It's kind of crazy because... You know, here you are, you're a mover and shaker, and those Sirius and XM are going to merge. Yeah. And in your mind, you're like, holy fucking shit. Like, this I'm already a big wig. And you're not thinking that way, no, but no, you're no, a yeah. big wig of, of this one station, yeah. and the station is going to double its size. Yeah. And what you've kind of been working for all your life is coming to fruition. To fruition. Right? Right, right like, before your eyes. Right, Yeah. And here you are, like, being courted by one of the biggest, if not the biggest, media 
personality on the in history. Yeah, totally. And she 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 nonchalantly thinks that you're just going to say yes. Yeah. But then you you had like, but I walked out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, to 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 talk and more than that, you have probably half the employees thinking like we're going to get fired when there's a big merger like that. And then there's the other half like yourself that's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm you know this is a huge opportunity yeah. to to yeah. scale up. 100%. You know, yeah. so. Yeah, those are things that you have to, like, process in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And in your mind, you're already like, I'm going to be the program director of the whole shebang of Yeah, I'm going to be there. And, yeah. And, and again, I wasn't 100% clear if I was going to have a job or not. Yeah. You know, I wasn't. But if but I was. But you're going for it. But I was going for it. Yeah. I was like, this, I'm going to go for it. I'm in. You know, but that, that's the crossroad that you're at. And a lot of people are like, probably like, oh, shit, I might not be here. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, it's a huge. So when, like, you know. When, like, when she explains to you, because. You didn't really, like she told you she wanted you to run Harpo and yeah. this and that. Like those are huge yeah. positions yeah. and responsibilities, probably even bigger than what you were going to do for. Mm-hmm. Working side she, by side for Oprah? Well, she said to me, she said, you know, you'll go run Harpo. And I, and I had some really, really bad follow-up questions. Uh, <laughs> One of them. One of them was. Well, I said. Well, what's Harpo? You know. And she said. Well, she looked at me like I was a kook, and she was like, "Well, it's me." And I was like, "Oh, okay, got it." And I was like, "Yeah." And you still go. What is Harpo? Well, yeah. And I'm thinking it's to myself, over backwards. Right. I knew. I, I knew it was over backwards. But it's like, uh, okay. And I'm thinking to myself too. It's like, um, does she not know? I've never worked in television in my life. Yeah. I've not done a single thing in television. Yeah. And um, and I said that to her. I said to her. I said to her. And this was an, this was another thing that I talk a lot about when I kind of sometimes try to share my story with people who want to really understand it. I said to her. I go. Um, well, you know, I've, I've I've not done television before. And Oprah's like, I know, I know. And I said. And then she said to me. She goes, but it's okay. She goes, I know you'll figure it out. And somehow, some way, the the ego took over. Mm. And I just said flippantly I went oh well how hard can it be it's just radio with pictures right <laughs> and and she she chuckled and she said well yes <laughs> but then she made another point which I thought was really powerful she said to me she goes but that's why I like you you already started trying to figure out how to do it yeah and that moment what was actually happening I was doing the turnaround in my head yeah I was like how do I take everything that I've done my entire life which yep. has been an audio only medium and now take audio and marry it with pictures to do television. Yeah. And so what wind up working, I moved to Chicago and worked and we had a, all these, we launched a Dr. Oz show and we had some success with that. We ended the Oprah Winfrey show, which was all time. And then we started own, which went through its series of phases. And that's how, that's how I moved out here in the summer of 2011. Was, was her print, uh, her magazine out when? <clears throat> yeah, her magazine. And I didn't really oversee that. Gail and the Hearst team yeah. did a lot of that. But that yeah, that, that was in her heyday. Like she had all this going she on. She had all that going on. Yeah. 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 So yeah. was it difficult to learn the ropes of television or? You know, um, it was di- it was difficult at first, yes. You know why? Because I was I was a bit stubborn in that I was so sure I could figure it out. I was trying to learn it through my radio prism and <clears throat> not just try to learn it through the television prism and really get grounded and understand how they made it. And then evaluate it from the other side, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, why would you do the segments this way when we and radio did it this way? Wouldn't that be better? Versus, 
let me really be clear about understanding how you make something and then take a step back and then evaluate how you want to either improve it or not improve it. And, and it, the, the, what made it a bit harder was that because that show was so successful, mm. it, it was doing things that even for television were unconventional, yeah. like the number of people and how big it was. And you didn't know that at the time, but I was sort of getting indoctrinated into like, you know, the patina of television. And then that had an interesting unlearning and relearning curve when we wanted to own when we didn't have the same liquidity or the same structure we had at the network as we had for the Oprah show. It was two different things. Yeah. So interesting, you know, like it's, it's massive business, you know, yeah. like, you know, to keep those listeners engaged all the time. And it needs newness and it needs some outsiders. And that's probably why yeah. she was drawn to you. It's like, you know, I need to freshen this up, even though it's so su- successful. But, yeah. you know, well, it's, it's got to keep reinventing it's, itself. It's kind of cool to, I'm sure she like went, okay, who, who reached out to us about satellite radio? This guy. Yeah. You know, and, and then what does this guy do? Right. Yeah. And she was more, yeah, I think it was that too for sure, Chucky. But I also think too, we had so many really on the point creative discussions about about understanding her and making sure what we were going to put on the radio was reflective of her. And I think that that was really what solidified the baseline for our, our relationship because I was so dialed in with like, mm-hmm. you know, things like, you know, the intention of what she wanted to have happen and like, what are you trying to actually say? And yeah. How do you want the, the listener to feel? And she hears me talking that way. She's like, okay, you're part of yeah. already predisposed. To yeah. Understand, understands me, the brand, and what's going to be yeah. best for the brand, and not your ego or your vision. It's like, hey, how do I make this better for versus, yeah, yeah, for her. thousand percent. Because when you, you know, I didn't watch a lot of Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. I mean, none of Seriously? us. Seriously? None of us really. <laughs> right? But when you, when you do think about some of the stuff that they do. Yeah. You helped create some of those, like, you know, programs that. Those like were the, really n- not necessarily the, the 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 iconic shows that most people attach to, like you get the car giveaways and all those big things. Those were done by the show and her. I mean, I would I came in at the tail end, and the contributions that I had to the show were far more behind the scenes that that were mechanical that the average bear wouldn't really know. Hmm. Um, you get a car. You get that, a car. That, 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 ha- that happened well before me, for sure. No, did, but did, did my, you... my involvement was really mo- more targeted with our team of people about the cable network, which mm-hmm. was what followed the Oprah show. Yeah, it's so interesting how terrestrial radio gave way to satellite radio. Yep. And then how, if you want to call it terrestrial TV, has given way to like cable. Cable, yeah. yeah, the streaming. Now, now, now it's going to streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Did, it's just yeah. the evolution of entertainment. Yeah. Oh yeah, but and we're still like watching the same kind of programs. For sure. I mean, this is an interesting topic that we could spend a whole another hour. Yeah, on, yeah. which is sort of like the the virtuous cycle of bundling, rebundling, unbundling. Yeah. just through different mediums. So, so like your your offer in Seattle where you just said yes and <laughs> is there money I don't know maybe yeah. I figured out what like obviously you're really successful in the mergers coming you, you know there's probably huge opportunity yeah. for staying there and telling her no <laughs> probably <laughs> added another zero to the whole but I'm sure they go hand in hand like yeah this is a great opportunity but also there's a great money and you know like you yeah. it's got to be 
you know, it <laughs> was, it, it, yeah, always, it's always about trying to improve one's value in yeah. the market. You know, um, I listened to a, pod, a bunch of podcasters included, but there's one with a guy named Scott Galloway um, who does one with Kara Swisher called Pivot. But, you know, one of the things he always talks about is that everyone has to understand what your value in the market is. Yeah. You know, and, and I I would say I didn't really consciously understand that, but by th- through moving all these different jobs, yeah. I realized I was able to drive more value for myself and by just trying to get to a bigger job or a bigger market, yeah. drove more value in myself so I could that you could realize that. And then when you get to a certain place, all of a sudden the value you have becomes commiserate with where you are. And you always have to keep evaluating that as a, as a person. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of going through multiple job interviews all the time for the, for the yeah. same job, yeah. you know, that's, that's right. but you know, the more you interview, the more you move on to other jobs, you get a bigger picture of like, and there's not too many people in your field that are probably hopping around like that. Right. Most people get in their comfort zone they and do. they're staying where they're at and they might get little bumps, but you know, to take that big risk, you're going to get big rewards if you perform. And, and it's such a great point because it's one of the things that, I don't think the younger generations really understand. Yeah. And, no. you know, the I, I recognized early in the radio game when I was moving around a lot, one of the single biggest advantages I had was that I would jump on an opportunity to move because I wasn't afraid of moving. And it was like I, I had everything I owned could fit in the back of a U-Haul trailer and I could be I could be in San Francisco in four days because I'm renting an apartment. Yeah. And that, that openness to be like, would you be willing to move from San Francisco to Tampa Bay? I was running one station in San Francisco, and then the Tampa Bay opportunity was you can run five stations at an NFL franchise. I'm like, I'm there. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, go. Boom. Yeah. You know, and so the ability to, to do that is is one that I don't think a lot of kids have today because this generation's so like it has to be this, I'm not doing this, I'm not moving. Why do I want to it, it, yeah. it, I just I don't see it like that. And I always say the greatest superpower you have is willing to do more than the person across the street. Yeah. And that is sacrificing, outworking. And I, again, I, I went through a big phase of my life where I was insecure. Yeah. When I started getting into the, like, the real white collar jobs, I'm in rooms, guys. and With MBAs and fucking oh, degrees. And dude, I mean, and it was in my 30s. I was for sure. really, really, it was yeah. eggy, bro. It was like... It's sort of like, well, I went, my undergrad was Stanford. I mean, I went to Harvard for law. And then I was just, and I'm like, fuck, man, I can't fucking spell Stanford, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it was really hard. And I will tell you, it was in my 30s as a, as a corporate executive, it was the hardest on the inside. In my 40s, I was working at Oprah at the time and by then, but it, it still was like I'd be in these rooms with some of these Hollywood guys, uh, yeah. and I'd be like, it, "It was so heavy." And I, I can imagine that because you know, yeah. when when I worked at a, a surf shop for twelve years, I ran a, I barely ran a register, right? right, right, and didn't use Excel spreadsheets and didn't use Word doc, didn't really use email, and then I went to the, you know, man, the vendor side of things, and I had to get my own email and like. Wait, wait. You can copy and paste shit. Yeah. Like, what is this? And yeah. what? And send it to you know, Oklahoma. Yeah. In five seconds. Yes. This is magic. Yeah. How yeah. does this happen? <laughs> yeah. So totally. well, I think your your experience going to that one college class and in, in you know broadcasting and the professor 
and you're like, he doesn't really know that much. Yeah. But of course, you're not going to say that to Never. him. You just kind of sit behind the scenes. And I'm sure like over time sitting in these board meetings, you're like, dude, these guys are intimidating. They got all these titles are obviously here because they know their shit. Yeah. yeah. But, you know. Sometimes dude, you realize that it's like the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. yeah. So then you're kind of like, I think as time goes on, you're like, okay, you know, like I know what I know, you yeah. know, which yeah. is very valuable. There, there is a, there's a tipping point to your point yeah. that that it your your experience and success or lack of success or perceived success outweighs the scale of what your credentials are yeah yeah you know and it just it just sort of it just it just gets to a place where it's like okay if if, if i interview for a job tomorrow and you have to have you know eight years of a degree da, 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 to do something i'll be like okay fine but here's what my my resume resume would say right. here's what I've done here's what I've achieved it's like well that's great but you don't have a college degree it's just like well okay fine I'm, that that it, it self it <clears throat> self selects for me yeah you know things that are sort of not that I'm out interviewing but, yeah you know no no, no for <laughs> sure but I, it's just life I mean my it's my, wi- my wife's going back for her degree you know in marketing and it's like do you really need to she's like well no but you, you know it's it's something a, a box I want to check. Your time she's away an overachiever. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, on top of running all of her kids, sounds like sounds like it sounds like a great move for you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 not everything, but it's yeah. it definitely doesn't hurt. But yeah. experience is, you know, it's it's everything. funny. I was um, I was having this conversation with with um, somebody just recently, and um, college to me is such a really interesting topic today. You know, yeah. in terms of like. What happens about how you get in? All the different aspects yeah. of what happens with college, right? And I think that, to me, I still maintain that college is there as a tool and an instrument to help focus young adults on what they want to be when they grow up. For sure. And and so I think approaching it as it's the end all be all is a little bit wrong culturally. I think it's critically important. Yeah. But if you know what you want to do. Then go do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, yeah. I mean, again, we can sit here and list the number of entrepreneurs who have changed the world that have dropped out of college if we want. You yeah. know, um, but the, the point is, is that is that I think if you find your passion, which is what I always come back to, and you find a way to marry that with a profession, you know, you've actually like you've knocked down probably eight of the ten pins of like you know happiness for your life. Yeah, you know. Well, we always say mix business with pleasure, right? Totally. Like, yeah. What, what can, can you do, do that you're passionate you do? about? Yeah. yeah. And then if you get paid to do it on top of it, it's yeah. like, frick. Well, yeah. It's really interesting. And I, I was tripping on, on what you're saying when, you know, you're you're in these big boardroom meetings and, you know, <laughs> you, you know <clears throat> you're looking at people's chairs and you're like, oh, shit, this guy's, you know. Yeah. And you get intimidated oh, by that. So and then when you, when you start hearing, you know, that because you... Uh, I'm sure like you let people, for me, I'd be like, I let this guy talk, yeah. you know, and see what this guy's all about, you know, get the lay of the land. And then when you finally realize, well, honestly, you know, I probably have the best solutions for what's going on, you know. And a lot of times to that point, what you realize is in those rooms, it's not necessarily, you know, a foregone conclusion that they've done the work mm-hmm. to actually justify the position. They've probably been at a company that has the outcome. Yeah. Whereas for me, 
I've actually done the work. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's sort of like in Tahiti, I'm, you know, I was I was sitting in the channel handing out jerseys, you know, at, in the channel at Tahiti. I can do that for you. Right. And, and, you know, and then Kelly calls and says, hey, can you bring the board from your, and it's like I'm board caddying for Kelly. And, That's yeah. right. Um, but again, it's sort of like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's about doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and that just became another little sort of thing for me to kind of pull me through those thirties and forties. It's like, I may not be the smartest guy, but I can promise you this. I can get up before you. I can stay up later than you, and I promise you, I'll outwork you. Yeah, there's you won't be able to outwork. And, and it's words of wisdom, right there. Yeah, and and that will, no matter how this world has gone through the changes or whatever, <clears throat> that 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 common denominator will always stay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like you said, how hard it is to get and in, in instill this into the young generation. Well, if you look at look at us here, for example, like at the league, you know the the number of people who have that ethos somewhat ingrained already in them yeah because you know it, this has been a it, it this has been a tough you know period of time for us in pro surfing over the last three years with the pandemic and so the the team of people who have you know outworked their competitors or outworked other people and sacrificed and done everything so that the sport didn't disappear through the pandemic which by the way was a very real possibility yeah you know, very real possibility and to, to punch through on the other side, I think gives the organization here just such you know great confidence to go through. And the thing I would say is when people ask how did the company do it, it's like it, everybody showed up and everybody did the work. They they did yeah. the work. Well, a lot of times you got to make cuts. You got to make downsides. You know, yeah. just to we did. to, we did. to, to make yeah. to make that. And then that kind of lays the burden on others, and that really puts yeah. people to the test. Yeah, totally you know, is. like hey, you know, we're we're all buckling down. You're, you didn't get let go. You're yeah. you're on board. Yeah, that means you got to step up. You got to step up. And step so going back, good people. Going back to you, sure. Moving to L.A. L.A. Yeah. Um, still working for Oprah Winfrey. Or? Yeah. So at the end of the show, so it was. Um, I moved out here September October of 2011. Uh, moved to Manhattan Beach at the time with my uh, wife and two kids. And um, as the mythology goes, and by the way, just by, again, let's go back. Kid from Oklahoma, uh, don't eat fish, uh, don't know how to swim. Still don't. haven't eaten fish. I try, man. I can't do it. I got, I, I got, I got. <laughs> Sushi's I Sushi's the best freaking food around. I know. Meat and potato guy over here. Yeah, and it's it's meat and taters for me. <laughs> I, it's like I, I I went to a a, a place um, up in the Palisades with this woman who gave me, and uh, we had um, um, pearl dragon. And it's like they've got two things on the menu I can eat. It's like a it's like a burger and like chicken skewers. And like everybody else is like horking down, you know, things I don't even know what it is. Uh, <laughs> I've tried. They've tried. I just it is what it is. Um, I I thought when I had my um, heart surgery earlier this year that they were that the doctor was going to be like you have to like change your diet. And they're like, no, you're good. I'm like, yeah, beef it is. Oh my uh, god. But um, I move out here, and then for my forty first birthday. The family gives me a, a wetsuit as a joke. Some people have heard this story. Um, and they were like, if you're Manhattan Beach, you got to be a surfer. That's what everybody does. And yeah. I was just like, ah, okay, whatever. So did you ever want to surf? Never. 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 Never, like, was attracted to it or the lifestyle or the... The lifestyle was always interesting because, you know, I, I was a child of the OP generation in the 80s. So I certainly knew about OP, yeah. you know. And the thing about surf... Uh, endemic and apparel 
is it's a massive. Obviously, you guys know this better than anybody. It, it, it's huge, and and some of the biggest outlets and stores are like in the landlocked states because of the aspiration of what the sport brings. Right. So I was not like dumb about it. I mean, I knew about it, mm-hmm. um, and I was always like, yeah, that seems really really hard. It's sort of like I'm not sure I'm going to do that, and so. Um, one thing led to another. So one February or March day, I can't even remember what it was, I decided you, to... Tr- you had a wetsuit for your birthday. Yeah, it was an O'Neill bag zip, uh, 4.3, still have it. And, you know, again, like most people do, you put it on backwards. You know, you put the zipper <laughs> in the front, have the, have the photo. It's amazing. Um, um, you know, I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys. And, well, well, you got to be a yoga... It just isn't, you, but it, it, it's I mean, just, if you handed it to somebody, yeah. right... Like side oh, we work in surf shops. We've seen yeah. that all day long. Yeah, you're like yeah. the zippers, like your pants. It goes. I mean, it's, it's totally normal. Totally yeah. normal. Yeah. I, I and everybody's like, no, it's backwards. It's like, okay, I get it now for sure. But it's sort of like you know, you just hand it to somebody. Yeah. So I tried it on, went into the water, and just walked out. Just because I had never worn a wetsuit, had no idea what it felt like, and it obviously has this really interesting feeling for the first time. It's like you feel the water, but it's not cold. Well, this is interesting. And yeah. and the the snugness of the suit, you know, is actually an anti-anxiety device. It's what they give dogs, you know. Dogs okay. are crazy. Yeah. You're swaddled. Uh, you're swaddled. You're sw- you know, I'm like, <laughs> this is kind of cool. So do that for a little bit, and then it's sort of Without like... Without a board. Without no a board, board, just walked in. It's just like waves. body surfing or... Just kind of hanging out, just getting okay. comfortable. Then, you know, you see people like on, on foamies. And so it's like I went and bought a foamy, I mean, a, a boogie board, not even a foamy, like a, a proper boogie board. And then I start doing that. And then next thing you know, I'm boogie boarding with, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten year old kids. And I'm 41. <laughs> and parents on the beach are like, this feels really odd. Yeah. And Did you get the fins and everything too? No, I got that later because then I realized, oh, I'm late. Oh, you can actually, actually, there's actually like really good things to do on butt. So I start, at this point, you start going down the rabbit hole. It's like YouTube. And it's like, oh, they're doing flips. Oh, what are they? Oh, those are fins? What are a set of fins? Yeah. And so, you know, I did all that. And then at some point, it was like, I'm, I'm like the only adult out here doing this with a bunch of kids. Like, like this feels kind of odd. And so <clears throat> I, I Google surf lessons and the uh, camp surf came up at El Porto and still to this day is a great friend of mine and he has the ultimate VIP pass for anything he wants. His name's Taylor Hine. And he showed up to my first very my very first surf lesson at El Porto, straight out of central casting, you know, fucking tats, ripped six pack, twenty minutes late, the whole thing. It was like Taylor surf was band. twenty minutes late. Yeah, it was okay. perfect. It was great. It was just like perfect. And it was like, this is exactly what I thought I was getting. <laughs> and said for in me LA. a couple <laughs> things. Right. In LA, at, at Porto. It's either yeah. that or Laird Hamilton. You know, yeah, you're gonna right. get one well, of the we'll other. get to Laird in a second. <laughs> so it's you know, four it's like three or four in the afternoon at Porto. It's like dead fucking onshore. You know, so he takes me out and he's just like I don't even remember the lesson. Something was right. Let's go. And so then I get out. He just like slings the board. And he's pushing me into a bunch of waves and just telling me to go. And so eventually one time you stand up. And you always remember the first time, right? Yeah. And, and then you just were like, what the Fucking fuck? Fucking Yeah. What the fuck was that? Yeah. And I got out of the water from that. I went to, um, it, was, it wasn't Jack's. There was an old surf shop that was sort of right by Manhattan Beach on Marine Street. It's gone now. And I went in and just bought a 9-0 longboard just straight off the rack. And, just, and, and so I just started sort of the journey. And then 
just the one lesson, or did you kind of do? I know I went back. I went back to him okay. for a while, and and he was great, and actually became moderately productive. Like this is yeah. you know the things that you should try, um, and then you know it was it was great because I started just surfing like these mid links and you know longboards and you know San Onofre on a, on a day, and then you know just paddling straight out at Malibu with no fucking clue and just getting yelled <laughs> at and rocks thrown at you, and it's like. <laughs> What you, you, were, you were the Val. I, I, oh, my God, was I the Val. <laughs> totally. And, and I owned it. And it's sort of like someone kept yelling Mickey Dora. And I'm like, who's he? You know? <laughs> so um, so interestingly enough, I... I'm, you didn't find, like, neighbors or friends that were, like, your age or... It was really hard. And I started making friends in the South Bay for sure. Yeah. You know, at a certain point, they kept getting yelled at so much at El Porto that eventually they just... El Porto's just, a gnarly place to surf. To learn. Yeah. yeah. To learn and to surf. Yeah. Like there's to surf, yeah. Not like heavy localism, but there is no, dickheads it, out there. Yeah. There's dickheads. Like everywhere. Yeah. Like like everywhere. Yeah. And so um, we had this event probably two thousand thirteen in downtown Los Angeles. Now I'm down the surfing rabbit hole. Now it's like I'm watching everything. I'm watching everything. everything. <laughs> it's sort of like, what is black and white with Kelly Slater? And it's like, how do I get my hands on that? And it's like so I'm like reverse engineering probably the last 30 years of your lives in the industry yeah. and I'm just getting caught up yeah. and I'm talking to people go oh my god there's this thing called the momentum have you, have you heard about it and yeah. it's like continuance it's like who's Taylor Knox you know what I mean yeah. it's just people are like so you're getting you, hooked on dude you gotta whole, know all these names the all culture and everything dude, like, and I'm like fire hosing this right mm-hmm. and I mean up all night not sleeping just mowing through everything I can so one of the things I distinctly remember was riding giants, obviously, which what you know through this sort of period was That's this layered, period. right? So it was layered. It's Greg Knoll, and it was really all about you know big wave surfing. And so it starts off in the Waimea days, and you see Greg, you see Greg Knoll, you see the bull, and you see all that, and then obviously it drifts into layered and Piahi, and you see the toe moment at, at uh, Chopu. And you go, wow, this is really amazing. And it's like, well, who's this Laird guy? And it's like, big wave. And it's just like, this guy's psycho. You know, and you just start going into all these things. So we're downtown L.A. And um, Oprah's doing one of these seminars. And the guest speaker is Gabrielle Reese. Gabrielle Reese. Yeah. Okay. Laird's Laird's wife. wife. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, Gabrielle Reese is there. And I'm looking in the front row and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Laird Hamilton. And everybody's just immune to the fact that it's Laird Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's gone. They're both superstars, so it's like... <laughs> totally. And everybody's just like, you know, he's there supporting Gabby because he's just, he's a great guy. So we're backstage, and um, and and, I, and I'm like, and I'm all like Oprah-fied, right? I've got my pink shirt, and i got my jacket, and I am like a seven-year-old grommet <laughs> at this point, just froth out of my mind. I go, um... Mr. Hamilton, you're totally. My voice is cracking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's right. like a super, like a super, like superhero, superhero, like but a surfer superhero, yeah. totally. bigger than life. And yeah. again, you got to remember, I'm in that phase of like, yeah. oh my god, yeah. you know, and it's just like I'm full on like Val Froth, like yeah, overlooked. But sorry to interrupt, but we we know crazy ass surfers that surf whatever the ocean could throw at them, and they're like little dudes, and yeah. you see like again superhero. Like, Lair's a freaking big dude. He's good looking. Like, yeah. You know, he's like. Massive presence. You know? He's big, big boy. <laughs> and he was, I talk about this moment a lot too, sort of unplugging the the, Ford, the, the the frost side of it, because how you handle situations when you're like a CEO or you're anybody it, it is so important. And here's my example. So I walk up to Laird and he was like, oh, well, tell me everything you want to know. Tell, talk to me. What do you love? And I tell him, and we get in this whole conversation and, um, 
he goes, have you ever tried stand-up paddling? Because he was like really into stand-up. And I go, no, what the fuck is that? And, <laughs> and he was just like, he's like, oh, it's this. And it's the best thing ever. And da, da, da. And so one, two, two, two funny quick stories that we could rabbit hole if you want. But one was just like, okay, I'm going to make you a board. So he introduces me to this guy. So I, and, and he goes, just call this number. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I call this number. And it's a number up in Santa Cruz. You can figure out who it is pretty quick. And I go, hey. And they're like, uh-huh. I go, Laird told me to call you because he said he'd make me a board. And, uh-huh. and, I, and I'm running like own right now, right? Yeah. And nobody cares. And he's just like, literally, quote was like, ah, oh, fuck, one of these. What? And it's like, well, what do you want? I go, well, I don't know. He goes, what are you right now? I go, I, I, I don't, I don't know. And he goes, ah, oh, Jesus. Okay, um, call me tomorrow. And so hang up, call back up, you know. And it's just like, all right, I, I'm gonna make you one, but it just, I'll just send you something. It's gonna be just, just take it. And I'm like, okay, great, you know. And like. Five weeks later, a board shows up, and it was Bob Pearson. I had no idea who oh, it was. Oh, wow. That. Yeah, because Laird was surfing the Pearson Arrows. Yeah. And so Bob made my first stand-up board. Um, and and then I got it, and I'm out paddling with Laird at Malibu, and it's like, I'm a disaster. You know, just, just complete nightmare. And he literally was like, I have no time for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to take you in the pool. I'm going to drown you. So he goes, call this guy, and he's tell him that I want you in, and you can do whatever you want. So... So I call this number, 808-da-da-da-da, and it's this really nice Hawaiian guy. And I'm talking to him, and he goes, he goes, yeah, okay. He goes, yeah, we do this surf trip every year. It's exclusive. It's like 10 people, and it's the most elite camp you can go to. It's Dave Kalama. Wow. And awesome. so uh, I go, I start I start going to Namotu with Dave Kalama in 2012. <clears throat> and and it was a stand-up camp, and, I, and that's where I learned to stand-up. And that's where I really learned how to surf. And, and again, everything in Fiji. I mean, we were doing... Everything in all sizes. And so that was a little bit of sort of what it was. But kind of going back to the point of, you know, how you handle it. I, I really, I often think about this moment. Had Laird just been totally different. Yeah, a dick. At that moment. Didn't give you a time of day. Didn't invest in you. Exactly. Yeah. And it was 20 minutes of just like being present. Yeah. It's like this whole thing. Trajectory is different. It's completely different. It's just yeah. really, to me, it's such a trip when you think about that. Yeah. Well, we try to instill that in our, you know, our kids and stuff. It's like, hey, you know, you, you never judge a book by its cover. You always engage with people regardless. Yeah. You don't yeah. know, like, who's who or what they're going to turn out to be. Like, yeah. you just got to, you know, communicate. Yeah. Either going to connect or not. And you if you don't, then cool. that, that totally. 20 minutes is the only 20 minutes you'll never have to talk to that person again. Or totally. it could be a long time, life lifelong relationship you know well and, and again you know learning to do anything at the age of 43 44 is hard <laughs> yeah and then especially surfing especially surfing i tell everybody and stand-up is not that easy either nothing I mean, no i mean i again i understand why it was so hated at the time and I, I get it all and i had and again i was oddly somewhat accepted out in porto because it's like i got it i was like i get what it is we're out there da, da. so Flash forward as as I start moving into sort of the WSL, you know, and I'm getting just so. How did you? I'm getting getting hammered for the stand up yeah. side of things. But oh, for sure. By the way, I I, I can go a little longer because my thing moved. Just so you guys know. So yes, like, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So, uh, how did you get here? Yeah, yeah. So you were working for Oprah. Still. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go back there and we'll just pick up the the, the transition. So, um, it's probably seven, year seven with her. Roughly, probably six or seven. Um, my phone rings in like the middle of the night from her phone, and I know she's on a, on a boat or a, a vacation ship. or ship. Yes, actually, <laughs> I, know, I know exactly who it was, frankly. Um, and she calls me, and it's her on the speakerphone with Gail. 
With Gail. With Gail. Okay. And um, she said, because she knew I fell in love with surfing and she loved this whole thing. And she's just talking about, because we spent a lot of time actually, interestingly enough, talking about the spirit, because I got attracted to the spiritual side of what even stand up surfing or surfing was. It was yeah. just like the connection of things bigger and that's a whole another podcast. And she said, well, where is it you always go in Fiji? And I go to Motu. She goes, no, that's not it. There's another place she said you always go to. I go, no, Namoto. And I realized, I go, Tavarua? She goes, yes, Tavarua. Okay. Um, so, We're going. Yeah, and what I'm like, I'm like, did you buy it? Do you know? <laughs> right. Does John Rosie know something? Yeah. Um, and so she says, uh, she goes, okay, well, I'm on this boat with some big surfer dude. And I told him my president surfs all the time and goes to Fiji. And he just was curious where. But I'm going to introduce the two of you guys. And I'm thinking, okay. Goes to sleep. I wake up the next morning. There's nothing in my email yet. And I'm thinking, who? Right, well, says right, okay? And I'm thinking, <laughs> it's got to be Kelly. Yeah. And it's not Laird because she knows I know Laird. Yeah. Um, and actually, at that point in time, I had invested in Laird's company because I'm a part owner in the Laird Apparel at that point. And I, I remember, and it's like, it's not Laird because we did Laird's master class. She knows Laird. I know Laird. I'm thinking, it has to be Slater, right? Yeah. It has to be Kelly. Okay. <clears throat> so get an email, and it's just like a connection of introduction. I wanted you to meet my president. This is my friend. I met on the boat, da da da. No name. And the email address, of course, is something like, you know, happy ukulele 72z at AOL. Or something you would never, how yeah. do you have any clue who it is? Yeah. Like that is. And I'm like, well, this is not helpful. Yeah. And it's like, you're going through, and it's like, hey, nice to meet you. I meet you too. Where do you like to go? I love swimming pools. Well, I'm a goofy. They, I, I'm really a big fan of restaurants. I go, eh, I don't like going left. Cloud breaks fine on a smaller. You know, so we're just going back. What boards do you like? I like this. Da, 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 da. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the whole time I'm like, who is this person? And eventually, like the next couple of days, I just nothing happens. And I go, hey, just following up. It was great catching up with you. You know, if you ever need me, my number. By the way, I'm sorry I didn't catch your name and your email address. If you wouldn't mind sending it, it would be great. And it was just like, da, 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 da. And it was, uh, oh, and then I said, um, you know, Miss Winfrey had mentioned you, had did, you do something with surfing. And I'm thinking, and again, I'm Googling people. Is it Bob McKnight? You know, is it yeah. Bob Hurley? Yeah. And it says, comes through and goes, no, it goes, love to, stay in touch, Dirk Ziff owner world surf league and oh i'm like gosh wow <laughs> and so i met dirk and natasha through oprah sick what and a trip that's how that happened and yeah. then and how did they what, meet what, they just they're, ended up on the they, same they're boat. All billionaires they were, and they're all friends they were they, they had they had they were just on a trip with mutual friends and as as those situations are they just evolve into just you know people sharing common stories with one another yeah and, and um I got involved with the league. A lot of people don't know this. I got involved with the league in early 2018 um, with uh, Pure on the advisory board. Mm. Uh, Paul Speaker was still the CEO at the time, and that was before Sophie came in as the CEO. Well, I was 17, actually, before Paul, before Sophie came in as the CEO. Um, and I was still just working at OWN, just kind of helping doing things. And then um, OWN started to... <clears throat> the cable, we were talking about the media things earlier, you know, it was like, it was broadcast and cable and streaming. And now at this point in the cable business, the cable networks are starting to get really marginalized by the streamers. Yep. And cord cutting has become a big thing at the time. And we could sort of see it coming. And the, the, the cable network, we were no longer focusing on growth because there just wasn't that growth because you were, you were basically taking the same programming to a smaller universe, so you were fighting for share. So it wasn't really a growth industry. It was a industry that you're just protecting margins. And it's, that's not a turnaround. That's not innovative. That's just 
hang on for it, dear life. Yeah, and it's just, you know, you're it's not stimulating. And it's like, yeah, okay. And I was approaching the 10-year mark with Oprah. She had started doing other things herself. You know, she did an Apple deal. Um, we did a deal with Weight Watchers and, and a bunch of other things. And, and then subsequently sold portions of her equity back to Discovery at the time. And an interesting opportunity came up to join the World Surf League in late uh, 2018. Um, and Sophie was our CEO. And it was that you could be, you could come start WSL Studios and like do all the things that you've ever wanted to do and your entire television little career and everything else, but just do it for surfing. And I'm that, like, wait a minute. So for could, you. For me. It's like, so I could come over here, have a whole new division as the president of a division and be in charge of like the broadcast, the content, basically all the stuff that I loved doing with like no P&L responsibility. I'm like, this sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we worked together to do that. And um, when I walked into Oprah's office, um, it, she was great. And, and I, I sat down and I said, uh, I said, can I shut the door? Kind of going back to the very first one. And she was like, oh, I go with the door closer. And she says, yeah. And um, I just said, it's time. You introduced me. Yeah. You know I love well, surfing. Shoot well, fall. So <laughs> you can blame to, yourself. To, to, to that point, yeah. the conversation went from, um, I'm happy for you. She gave me a hug. And she goes, how did you do this? I yeah. go, what do you mean? She goes, how does one find, and again, she's just obsessed with the spiritual nature of the symbolism of like, this is your passion. Yeah. And now you're here. I mean, she goes, you, it's amazing. And then toward the end of the conversation, she goes, just, just so we're clear, this was not the intention when I introduced you to Dirk to have yeah. this happen. Yeah. Maybe yeah, you guys go on a surf trip or something. Right, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. And. And by the way, I mean, still to this day, we, we chuckle about it and talk about it and yeah. still still connect. And and I came here in 19 and we started the foundation for a lot of stuff that we see today on the media side. So like the Ultimate Surfer we started um, and even all the Apple Series stuff that we're doing now uh, with Make or Break, the foundation that was started in 19. That's awesome. Make or Break is fucking insane. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll love season two. We're just about done with it. And so we got one more episode to shoot with the finals. And it's funny. And, and obviously being fans of, you know, the sport and the broadcast and everything, it's, yeah, it's, you know, we have friends, um, Jake that, you know, Patterson that would do his Jake yeah. tales and stuff <laughs> and behind the scenes, yeah. and we, you know, everybody, yeah. you know, the content is everything, you know, yeah. like the, you know, the winner, <clears throat> Whoever wins is great in the contest and the format or whatever, but it's, it's the behind the scenes and, you know, the travel and the intimate and the, and things that you wouldn't see. Yeah. In, in a magazine or it's a, it's yeah. reality yeah. TV without it being staged. It's just real yeah. and raw. And it's like kind of gets you into those people's like mindsets. And yeah. It's cool. and, and I think what we tried to do with that show with our producing partner, Paul. So Paul, James and I EP the show and, and uh, there were obviously with box to box and you know, I give Paul a lot of credit because when I was running, the st when I was just running the studio, you know, he called me, and they were having huge success with Drive to Survive, and they called wanting to do the show. They they suck out surfing. They saw the opportunity themselves as producers, so that started in a good place of us saying, "Hey, do this," and and the way we approached it was that. I'm just going to really work to get acceptance from the surfers to have them give you access to your life. And we wanted to make a show that was 80 plus percent narrative driven and 20 percent surfing. And I think for a lot of people at the company, when we started seeing the first cuts of Make or Break, they were a little like, whoa, I thought this I thought this was a surfing show. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, 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 no. This is a character show. Yeah. Um, and. 
and and really showing the world of what surfing is and and um, it was tremendously successful yeah I mean it's it, awesome and Apple picked up the second season very fast and you know we're, we're looking I mean the first the, 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 just to give you a sneak peek of um, season two no surprise the first episode I will say um, probably is this single best piece of surf content I've ever seen in my life wow it, it is when's it coming out it's gonna we don't know exactly when yet but it is but the episode starts at absolute pumping pipeline when and, Kelly wins when Kelly wins yeah yeah and, the, ca- and the cameras are everywhere yeah, yeah. I was and on the beach there's no crying in surfing yeah, Kelly. It was, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he cried many times yeah. yeah so going back so you're running it, the media yep running the media you yeah. know and then how long did that last because you're kind of behind the scenes about a year uh, pipeline 19 um, the Gabe Italo uh, final heat we got lucky about that because Gabe didn't win in Portugal that year if you remember and um, I get a call from Dirk and um, asks me if I can meet him for breakfast. He's flying back from Hawaii and before he goes back to the East Coast. I'm like, yeah, sure. <clears throat> and um, there was conversations that were happening at the board level and effectively was like, we think that you are the, the right person to be the next CEO. And it was, took, I'm like, I didn't think I was gonna have to work that hard. And, <laughs> and uh, I was just like, okay. So, yeah. you know, obviously it was like, what an amazing opportunity. And, you know, the the sport was in a good spot in 19. Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't great to be big. big can- and what I mean by that is really, I look at it and say that from the solvency and the stability of it going forward. You know, to me, when I take a step way back when I became CEO, one of the things that I really want to be able to say if my job ends today or ends tomorrow or two years from now is that, you know, we've we've moved the sport forward, yeah. we've made it sustainable, and that there's a pathway not only for our existing athletes, but I think about all these young and up-and-coming kids that want to have a career in professional surfing. I want to be able to say that what we were able to achieve through this era is that it's the stabilization and the the absolute sustainability set up for pro surfing forever. So yeah. there's never a question of it of it ever not making it. And so I kind of like looked at that because you get to a place in your life where even when you're going from Seattle and all these places, it's like you do things for a lot of different reasons and money's one of them for sure. In, in this case, the the work here to me is more meaningful because I feel like what we have an opportunity to do, and I feel like what we have done, frankly, is really affected change globally and affected yeah. the sport globally and created more opportunities. And we're not done with that yet. Um, but, you know, I say all that, that was kind of going into it. That was January yeah. of, of 20. 90 days to the day the press release drops, uh, COVID hits. And now all of a sudden, I'm thrust with trying to navigate the company through COVID, which was clearly not on the vision board of what I signed up for. And I knew then and there, it's like, okay, I'm going to be here for a while because, you know, the the sport was was in trouble. And look, I, I it may go without saying, and it may be Captain Obvious, but the, the depth by which our ownership group stood by the company, stood by the surfers, yeah. and maintained the long view that there are better days ahead can't be said enough. And it would have been real easy for like every other company in the world 
and every other company that just to be like, yeah. now nah, we're just going to pack it up until everybody come back in a year. Yeah. yeah, we never did that. We never did that. And I think what we see in the tour design today, with the finals last year, the finals this year, the midseason relegation line, um, how we're thinking about new venues, where we're going. All the things that were the, the Challenger Series thinking, return to the QS in yeah. terms of regions and things of that nature. That is a benefit of us working through the years of COVID. Yeah, yeah really. A lot of downtime. Well, what doesn't kind kill of you makes you stronger, totally, right? Totally, yeah. totally. So going back to Duma's question. Yeah. Uh, Damien Fairford. Sure, I, I love Duma. He said uh, he, he wanted me to ask you, right, like when you first got the job, what was your expectation of what you wanted to achieve? Um, so I do it from the CEO lens versus the studio lens. Um, I think what I wanted to achieve at that point in time was to create the sport and, and the organization to a place where we more professionalize you know, the, the rigor of what we do. Because I, I didn't think in 2020 when I became CEO that, that we had a real clear identity as a league. I don't think we had a real clear vision about what we wanted to do. We put on a bunch of events, you had a bunch of points, and whoever had the most points at the end of the year sort of wins the title. Um, it's a very challenging sport then and still today, and it's an opportunity, by the way, to broaden the aperture of people to get into the sport and understand our sport. Our sport is very hard to understand. It's, if you are not closely aligned with it, it's really hard to understand. Yeah. Um, and I've learned that firsthand by like the deals I've done with ABC with Make or Break or talking to the executives at Apple. Um, it's hard to understand. It's hard to onboard them. So what I had believed I would do to get to Duma's question was like, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to really clarify the branding. We're going to clarify this. We're going to create a path of sustainability. <clears throat> and what I thought we were going to do was to create a, a platform and a program that I had this thesis when I was the uh, content guy in 2019 that over the course of the challenge of the, the CT, we had roughly 65 days of live competition, kind of what it was, roughly. For the year. For the year. And, you know, if you look at the traffic and consumption levels, because I, 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 I look at the data, it's like big peaks, big valleys. Yeah. And so to me, it was like part of all those programs we did back in 19 was like Brilliant Corners and all these different shows that we were doing were, were aimed at addressing the other 300. So what I had thought was, oh, we're going to make the like ultimate portal for surfing yeah. and just sort of do that. And that was kind of what I went into it. And I think that the benefit, again, of, of uh, our chairman of the board is a guy named Andrew Wilson, who's the, the CEO of EA Sports. I mean, wickedly smart guy. And I remember... EA Sports? Yeah. It, it video saying, games? Yeah, video, it makes all the video games. Um, and he's been a great mentor to me. And one of the things he said to, to me in one of our board meetings going into the pandemic is never waste a crisis. And the pandemic was a crisis. And I think what it allowed us as a team to do was get back to some super core fundamentals. And, and I think we're seeing some of the benefits of those today. And the first one was what matters most is the crowning of world champions and the validation and the sanctity of what that cup means. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily the driving thesis of, of the organization in 2018, 19, 20. It was, a, it, was, it was about a lot of other things. Yeah. And, and it was very unfocused. Yeah. And then that, okay, so that was number one. And then number two, it's about the championship tour. 
it's about the world's best surfers and the yeah. world's best waves. And you got to get those two the things, right? And it's like if you can't get if, if those two things are not solid, everything else falls apart. So we so just we dug into that, and that's why a lot of those ancillary shows that you guys saw went away, and all the productions that we do, like the make or breaks and stuff, all kind of happen, you know, off the platform as we call it, off platform. So it doesn't interfere with the focus of what we are, and so we just we just dug in, and yeah. you know, Jesse and Dave and all of us. WSL wants to be a media company. Right. Well, we are a media company. Yeah. And, and really. But it wasn't ever a focus until yeah. and so, know, it got to read. But I think we were confused. I yeah. think it's a really good question. So the what is a media company, I think, is sort of the first thing. And I think what happened is that we the we knew you needed to be a media company. Right. And so we created a bunch of other things. Hey, Cam. Um, um, we had we, that we were creating all this other sort of content. But reality of it is, is that. We're a, the core business. We are a sports league, yeah, that is fueled by a media company around it. And I think the conflation and confusion, you know, back in nineteen and twenty, was that we're a media company that has a sports league, and 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 that sequencing may seem very small and not that significant, but if you pragmatically think about it, like again, the turnaround guy, right? Yeah, it's really important to get it right because what it does is it starts unlocking things. For example. If the most important thing you do is crown a world champion, then the second most important question is how do you do it? Yeah. And then that becomes the debate of whether or not yeah. this is fucking awesome. No, it's a great insight of like how these transitions and changes come about. And so yeah. everything. So I'll tell you. I'll tell you the story, and and we'll get to the cut and get to because everything's done with fan progression. And the business in mind. Yeah. And so I remember vividly, as you guys probably do and all your listeners do, that, you know, when we sat there at Pipeline and we had a minute to see that the winner of the Italo and Gabe was going to be for the world title, it was one of the best moments in pro surfing. Yeah. So huge. It was so huge. Okay. So I say, all right, we had 90 minutes, maybe an hour's notice. To know that the last heat of the year would determine the, the showdown was yeah. a showdown. Yeah. When I became CEO, uh, Pat O'Connell was still our head of uh, tours and comp before Jesse took over, and there had been talks about a one-day surf off that dated back to 2017. Yeah. And Tabby, and there was a lot of rumors about it, and I said that is going to be what we do, and we charted a course about the finals, and then it was discussion about the format. So then, so the first question is, how do we emulate how, that? How, so, so how do you, because from a fan experience, that is you like. Can't beat that. Can't beat that. Yeah. Right. You want one and two battling it out. Right. And winner take all. Right. Yeah. In yeah. the venue on the day. Now, I am very clear that there are a lot of people still who prefer the old way. I, and, and by the way, I totally respect that and understand that. Um, I kind of prefer the old way. And I and I get it. I sort of understand it. Yeah. And so, but then as we're talking about it, I lean to the other way too. Yeah. Just here's here's the a couple things were floating in my head when we're when you're talking. Sure. It's like, you know, the WSL for it to prosper and and be successful, uh, it has to be a media company. Yes. And it has to be a sports league. Correct. Like both those things have to happen, right? Correct. And then you have somebody like Red Bull. 
yep. who's really just a media company. It's yep. not really a, a drink. Yep. I mean, it's well, a they'll, drink. They'll, they'll, tell you, they'll tell you it's a consumer company, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, what they've done and accomplished is phenomenal, 100%, right? 100%. So if you did what they're doing, but with the league more, you know, because yeah. honestly, like there's, you guys get criticism about everything, right? <laughs> I mean, Which you're kidding? <laughs> I haven't noticed. But it, well, it's a sport. There's a sport component to, to uh, yeah. Any sport, yeah. There's a cha- world champion. There's a champion. There's a but there's a final. There's yeah. Also, you know, like you need that. Like Ultimate Surfer, right? Yeah. Hate it or not, I fucking think it's needed. You yeah. you want to have something like that as a vehicle to reach people that would never reach yeah. it. That's, that's right. Like That's Olympics, exactly right. right? Like 100%. the Olympics, you know. All this stuff is additive. All the stuff is additive, but it also fuels the fire of like non-endemic people yep. that might become, you know, fans, interested, yeah. might yeah. become fans. Because so all those things are needed all in yep. with the more like raw, yep. real stuff. And then superfluous, funny, like it or not, stupid shit. Yeah. Or, hey, that's cool. Like yeah. there's people that I know that are, you know, yeah. They, they they like text me and they're like, dude, how funny was that? I'm like, yeah. you're watching it, yeah, <laughs> and they're into it. No, so. it's, it's, to- it's totally it's totally true. And I think that, you know, I mean, you know, back to the sort of the insights question about the finals, right? It is like, you you say, okay, we're going to determine the world champion this way, and then, okay, how is it actually going to be done? And that's when you come up with, and Travis Logie, you guys know Travi, yeah, yeah. Travi was. The, one of the original architects of that format, which I think is a genius format. It's cool. And it works. It works. And and then um, we can talk about my anxiety of last year if we want. We'll get to there in a second. <laughs> uh, but um, and and then it's sort of like where and that became a really interesting thing. And this was probably one of the biggest controversial things we did um, because pipeline was the very end, as every year as we know. Yeah. And the women were never there, and the women were at Honolulu. Now, what a lot of people probably don't know, well, a lot of people do know, obviously, equality inclusion is a big part of what we do, you know, and, and it's a hallmark of organization. <clears throat> equal pay for equal work. Men and women are surfing the same waves. That's an important part. In Hawaii, actually, it's actually a law for permits. So even if we weren't doing that, we weren't going to be able to be getting the Hawaii permits in the future unless you actually run a women's division anyhow. Mm. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but the ones who are close to it, they do. There was a proposition that was passed. Kiala Kennedy was very out front of it, and we were very supportive, obviously. So we knew that all women were heading to Pipeline. And we knew that women were heading to Tihuapo sure. because it's the Olympics in 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was always in the back of the mind. And then you're like, okay, well, then where do you want it? Where, where are you actually ending it? Because you can't just put Pipeline at the end for the women who have never surfed it for the world title. Yeah. There's, that that's just is not fair. And we started talking about it, and there was a handful of places that obviously popped to the top of the radar screen that are tremendously high-performance waves, that are tremendously equal, that offers rights and lefts. And there's not many of those in the world. Yeah. There, you, there, there really isn't. And lowers kept coming up. And lowers kept, and trestles kept coming up, trestles yeah. kept coming up. And then we we're like, okay, what time of year do we want to run it? And we were like, we'd like to be able to try to run it from a media company perspective in that sweet spot of, before pro football and college football get started and baseball really hasn't gotten into playoffs and you know September and August you know at least in the states in the, in the biggest media market in the world a little bit of a doldrum yeah so a little bit of opportunity and the ways are good 
And so then you look yeah, at and you look at the fact that it's like it's the best time of year, and you've got south swells rolling through, and and so then we establish trestles, and then it's like, well, what are we doing with pipeline? Because our permit was always in December, and then it was this huge discussion, because there was a lot of conversations we had that you can't end, you can't not end at pipeline, yeah. and I'm like, well, let's start a pipeline, and so once we sort of broke that, then it sort of unlocked the calendar yeah. to sort of what it is today. People are so, you know, they get stuck in their old ways and yeah. they're afraid of change. I'm a, uh, I'm one of those guys. You're more of a purist, for I, sure. I, yeah. 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 And, and I appreciate and, that. And I love, though, what it all boils down to, if there's waves in a fucking contest, no one complains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so <laughs> that's, that's all we talk about it, it all down the line. We talk about it all the time. All the time. When, and I'm sure you guys see it too on when you're looking at the stats and the ratings and, you know, yeah. like the viewerships. And it's like when there's freaking pumping waves, everybody's yeah. happy because it's equal, fair game. Everybody's getting opportunity. So, so it's funny. So this kind of brings us to the cut. So exactly what you're both saying. So I talk about this a lot. Um, in the company, um, and sometimes publicly, if people ask, but sometimes they're they're more interested in you know where's Kelly surfing and is he retiring? I was like, oh, okay, I'll take that too. Um, but there's there's three um, baskets that really make a successful CT event. Okay, it's the waves. So to your point, regardless of where it is, if it's pumping, you're yeah. watching. All right. Yeah. Two, it's the athletes. It's the star power. Star Definitely. power matters. I mean, I can sit here and tell you when. When Gabe and Kelly touch the water versus somebody else. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's noticeable as night and day. Now, the third is one that is really important to this discussion, and it's what our chief marketing officer, Sarah, talks about. It's stakes. Mm. What's on the line? And what happens now, because the way the tour is designed, you've got clear narratives all year because we've integrated the structure. So just to take the structure a bit further. We're starting at the most revered, heaviest wave on the planet. And as a purist, you'll know this, where you're almost assured the waves are better in late January than December anyway. Yep. Okay, as evidence this year. Okay. So you have waves, you have star power, and you have stakes because it's pipeline. Then all of a sudden, at the fifth stop, we're relegating a third of the tour to the Challenger Series, which means... This notion that you're going to have slow starts is out the window. The viewership for Bells and the viewership for Margaret. And by the way, Bells didn't have great waves. Yeah. But we had good athletes and we had a massive stakes. And Margaret, we had one good day. But the stakes were massive. Were two of the best events we had ever had in the history of data recording. Wow. Because of the stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And... And again, all the tension and everything and you know that happens with what happened there... Then you have the back half. We had we had a really poor wave window at G-Land, so yes. that was pedestrian. Um, Brazil, we actually did pretty well yeah. with surf. El Salvador, we had a lot of crappy days, but we had like four hours where it was epic. Yeah. J-Bay knocked screws off the ball. Yeah. was just all-time J-Bay, and we all saw what happened at Tahiti. What happens now, because you introduce stakes, if you look at the year, you've got the front door, you got the relegation, and then you have the fight for the final five, and then you have the to one. Then you yeah. have the final you five. All to these one. peaks. Yeah. So from a fan a long perspective, marathon. That's right. So instead of it being, and this is the purest side, which marathon. You know, from your side, it's like, hey, they're tested all year. 
you know, you shouldn't have to lose it in one day. It's not wrong. So the anxiety I had last year was Gabe had literally ran away and hid. You know, if you remember his lead, he had yeah. was so massive. And, um, and by the way, Gabe and I have a great relationship. I'll never forget. If we he were, loses. Oh, my God. You are going to be the most. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was, there was, there was a, we were at the press conference last year. And he does an interview in the New York Times. And basically, before it happens, it's like pre-negotiating the downside. He's like, yeah, I don't think this format's fair. And da 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 I should already have it. He's the purist because we hadn't run it yet. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, I got the number one surf in the world is like torching me mm. in the New York Times before we get there. Now, granted, he wins. Afterwards, we had a big chuckle that night at the party. Yeah. And he's just like, no, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm like, okay. Of course <laughs> <you do." laughs> well, it, it is a, if you're the surfer, and yeah. you've won more contests than everybody else. Yeah. And you run away with it. And historically, that's, you crown that champion. That's right. So wrapping our heads around the new system, because new, like we said, like change is hard. To change is hard. Why, change why, is hard. Yeah. Why fix it if it's not broken, but it <clears throat> could be better. So yeah. it's kind of like, you, yeah. you know, like. And for, and like we said earlier, like we want the WSL to succeed. Of course. We all do. So, yeah. so. If that was the two most watched, te- uh, viewed shows because of what you guys did, yeah. you're doing something right. Then you're doing something right. Yeah, right? And, and look, the finals was the most watched day in pro surfing history by a mile. Wow. You know, last year. Yeah, my last year. my only criticism is you got five guys at lowers and there's a lot of unridden waves. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I would like to see a best two out of three final for the final two. They do. They do. That's what it is. So the champ for the for so <laughs> what do you like Gabe and and Yeah. So that's the way it works. So so it's, it's by the way, I'm glad you said this because this was a little confusing when we introduced it and this year we're trying to make it a lot more clear. So the way the matches work, as you know, it's like five and four surf, the yes. winner surfs three, the winner yeah. surfs two. Yeah. Okay. The winner of of the of the third match yeah. has to compete against the one seed. And the one seed or the two seed, whoever yeah. it is, has to win two out of three. Two out of yeah. three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was that last year. Yeah. So yeah. game won two. And if you recall, on the women's side, Tati won the first heat. Tati won the first one. Oh, Carissa that... won the second heat. Yeah. yeah. And then Tati was one turn away from winning the third heat. Yeah. That's right. Okay. I listened to Prodan's uh, interview with her the yeah. other day, yeah. and I was just like, wow. Yeah. How heartbreaking and, you know. Was, she was she was great in the second season of Make or Break a little another pre Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've already seen it. Well, her backhand, I mean, yeah. most mental. And, and, and yeah. speaking about all in that, how how Sage and her at Mexico, oh, that was heavy. fucking. I was, was fucking awesome. It was good. Wasn't yeah. it? it was like because Sage is you know she's all barky and Tati's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah it was good. It's like, hey, this we're in a competition. You got a jersey on? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's yeah. how it should be. That's how yeah. it should be. And, and then, but Sage is like yeah. super, like cutesy, yeah. and like you know, you wouldn't think she would be throwing no. f bombs, and you're like, yeah. sorry, yeah, that's how it should be. Well, yeah. what, I, what I also saw, you know, I think sort of back to the stakes thing. Yeah, you know, going into the finals, we really saw uh, this year. Certainly, hearing it in J Bay and seeing it play out at Tihupo was the importance of making it. And then the importance of the seeding has created this whole new back season dynamic that we have never had before. And, you know, I mean, Brissa Hennessy, who 
comes out of the gate completely strong. She wins Sunset, you know, and, you know, and she is a great story. Falls off the tour last year, requalifies through the QS, yeah. does okay, winds up winning Sunset. She's in the yellow jersey, and she's going, and she's on the outside looking in, and she makes her heat against Lakey in, in, in Tahiti and is in the boat, like, visibly crying and losing control because of the importance of making the finals. So crazy. Gnarly. It's gnarly. And so what's happened is, you know, you watch it and it's like, oh my gosh. It's like, I I don't want to say it's working because that feels like it's a very arrogant point of view. Yeah. But the intention, as we would say, of trying to create drama into that to set something up so that fans can buy into it and there's... it, it, it mattered. And listen, the numbers for Tahiti, we haven't released them yet, and I will after the finals, are a bonanza. Really? Yeah. I mean, again, it's like, let's go to the three things, waves, athletes, and stakes. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, Kelly's in the freaking semis. I mean, it is classic Chopu just Can we just give Kelly yeah. shit right now, though? Why did he let this little whippersnapper take him out in the first fucking five minutes? Um, well, that's a better question for Kelly. Yeah. Um, What's up, goat? Yeah, you can you can yeah. ask Kelly that question. I mean, it's, <laughs> he and he and I had a couple of lively chats when he went before he paddled out. But um, look, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he was was waiting for the proper chip yeah. set. Yeah, the swell was sort of dying down. You know, Kali just went underneath and dropped effectively a 16 on him. Yeah. And then Kelly had to make a decision. I have heat. to sit and wait now. I have to wait for yeah. the eight. Wait That's for the what nine. usually he does to people. But yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, it that was so. It was frustrating. Yeah. It was a bummer, it was a bummer, but it was also cool to see the local guy. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and switch was, foot and pump in the barrel. First of all, that was the heaviest thing I saw all week. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was the heaviest thing I saw all week. And what I love about that kid, and he was so good. Yeah, is that you know Yago? I mean, uh, uh, Miggy was was great and gracious, and obviously won. And that kid got in the boat, and yeah. you would think, okay, I'm a wall card. I'm a kid. It's Chopu. Da da da. And I just made my final. Oh, he was happy. He was so pissed. So pissed and so angry. Yeah. So anyway, it was it was like, oh, there is some yeah, fire. fire. Yeah. Some fire in this kid. He's coming back. So Yeah, I, I think mixing up the events too, like you have your, you know, snapper or you have pipe or you have chop you have J Bay, all the spots that yeah. should be on tour because it yeah. brings out the best of the athlete yeah. and it's always a good time mm-hmm. here. Mixing up some of those, you know, contests that you did El Salvador, yeah. you know, which is great. Yeah. Changing it up, you know, getting, because there's, you know, there's so many veterans on tour that you're like, well, you know, they know this place like the back of their hand. And when you mix in a new spot, kind of evens out spices the playing field, right. spices yeah. it up. I think that would, I, I, listen, I think you should expect that that is a big part of what we're thinking is like, look, there are. Like the, the the search, right? The, the rib curl right, that yeah. would they hey every year we're picking a different spot. That's right. I mean there are there are must have waves every year that we've sure. got to go to for sure. Definitely. Right? Yeah. And and I think a big part of what we've got to do as we start imagining the next five years for the CT yeah. is like what are some surprise and delight places we can go? What are some places like oh rad we're going there? You yeah. know I mean there's there's a lot of CT caliber waves in the world. Yeah, for sure. But there's, I mean, so, there's so many moving parts with you know working it out with the country and sponsors and logistics yeah. and you know it, it take, we, we know it, it all takes, that. It takes a but couple years to get there's started. a lot of good ways around the world. There's yes. a lot of great ways around the world. <laughs> Is it difficult to acquire those sponsors? These mega sponsors like Don Julio or not Don Julio? 
God. Jose Cuervo. Did. Jose Cuervo. Cuervo Corona. Corona. Um, you know, I listen. I think um, sponsorship is a is a really important part of what we do. Yeah. Um, and part of what all of our sponsors are looking for, which is why I think this three tier design is so powerful now, is from a business planning perspective. We now can go to, to partners and say, here are, the, here are the moments in the season that you can depend on. There's a great celebration at the beginning. There's this mid-season relegation issue that happens. Yeah. There's the fight for the final five, and then there's the finals. And so we now can talk to people like, here are the narratives, and where yeah. does your brand play into it? It's like, well, we really like, you know, Titan Bright and, uh, you know, Searchy. Like, Quicksilver's a great example with, with G-Land. They, that, the jungle TV and the whole jungle thing in yeah. G-Land, great. Um, and J-Bay, it, it's a huge thing for Corona. And so what the sponsors need is long-term visibility. And then there's a lot of other dynamics that go into it. Then there's like the time zone that is for the globe. Um, beach activation is a big one. Mm. You know, can you activate on the beach? Uh, so that's an important thing for not just the titles, but for the yeah. other ones. So there's a lot of different dimensions that sort of happen. Like when you go to Brazil in <clears throat> Sacarama, there's 70,000 people on the beach. Yeah. And the beach activation looks like, I mean, it is... It makes the U.S. It, Open look like... Uh, yeah. it, it makes look... It, it's, it's shocking. I mean, yeah. I went there this year, and it was mind-numbing, yeah. the number of people. It was a lay day, 30 knot onshore wind, blowing rain. There was 40,000 Brazilians on the beach <laughs> just in the it's activation zone. It's a festival. Yeah. And I'm like, aha. Mm. You know, and these are the things that you start unlocking. So yeah. every stop and venue is different because you can't do it the same. I mean, there's not a lot of beach activation we can do at Pipeline. We have yeah. to do it in the park, you know, and when we're working out of the back of houses. And in Tahiti, there's no hotels. You're living with the locals. Yeah. So everything's different. And then what we do is we take we take the vision of how we sort of take the competitive balance, where we want to be, what are those notes, yeah. what's the structure, how do we have the waves be the full complement, barrels, rights, yeah. lefts, and Jesse does a great job of that. And then we start laying in that, and then we sit back and go, okay, now from a sponsor perspective, how do we sort of like stitch it all together? Yeah. I, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you, you know, first and foremost, you're, you're a surf league in crowning a champs, like prior n- number one. Yeah. Then you got the, the content side and the media side. You know, me and Lennon and Art, you know, we talk about this all the time is, you know, surfing has so many like subcultures and demographics yeah. within surfing. You got the jock, which is again, mm-hmm. World Surf League is kind of the jock portion of yeah, surfing, for sure, because it's just a competitive side. And then you have all these little sub subcultures, whether it's longboards or air or big wave or it, this and, and mid-length it's, fish. And, and, and it's like, you know, from a fan. And again, I'm I'm a, you know first and foremost a high performance like yeah shortboarder. You yeah. know? Oh, are you? <laughs> of course, I do have a mid-length there, well, and I do. Well, but wall cards available. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, but how do you you know? How do you appease to a bigger audience by, you know, investing in some of those other That's great. I mean, look, I think air, specialty, retro, you know, like the the momentum guys just did their uh, Maldives right. event. Uh, look, I, I think a couple of things. One is, you know, this is where focus is really important. Yeah. And understanding who you are and understanding who you're not. Yeah. And and so with longboard, for example, yeah. we are like we are going to take the longboard discipline. We've brought it in-house. We've hired Kira, who's an amazing leader for us on the tour. And we've decided that we're going to award world titles for longboard. 
Nice. And so now we have a pathway this year, and we'll have our world championships in Malibu this year. And then the following year, we'll have a tour, and we will set it up sustainably and perpetually so it can stand on two feet, just like we do for the CT. And, that's yep. that, and that is going to be for longboard. Big Wave's a little bit different because we basically just do two events. We do a tow event in Nazare, and we do, obviously, the paddle event in Piahi. Yep. Um, we're, we're, is there a world where we'll have a world big wave tour like we used to? Maybe, if the economics pan out. That's a really, sure. it's a different one. Yeah. But I think when you get to the other things like the air, the air tours, you know, all these other sort of things, that today doesn't fit sort of within the prism of who we are. Yeah. And... You know, the, 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 one of the last things I'll leave you with um, with this is in turning around companies, and I say this a lot here, is that it's really important to know who you are. It's more important to know who you're not. Yeah. And, and I think that if I'm critical of either my work here and in and, and areas that I could be better as a leader, I think I could have been better earlier on by being clear about who we're not. Yeah. You know, I think what we're a company at getting better at now is knowing who we are. Yeah. No, I, I like what you're saying because it, it makes sense talking to you now. Like there's so many times that we, you know, we were, what do they call them? Armchair, armchair, armchair quarterbacks, quarterbacks, yeah. quarterbacks and Monday morning, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's interesting because, you know, the way you're renovating the tour you know, potentially that's going to yeah. make the tour better. And that's yeah. what your vision is. That's it. Yeah. I mean, and, and what, I think I think that's what it, it, I, it, it, if you strengthen the CT, it strengthens the Challenger Series. Yeah. It makes the region stronger. Yeah. And then that gives you permission and the ability, I think, to do more. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I don't, I don't want to mislead you. Like, I think you need an air tour and all these tours. I think it's just investing into like specialty events. That, yeah. You know, it's kind of like yeah. one offs or, or, you know, yeah. hey, we do we're going to do one of these a year or two of these and stuff and, and just being a little bit more again like well you're talking about you're, t- you're talking about something that's important too yeah. so there's this whole other culture that you're talking about yeah. I mean again Dave Proden as we love you know is, yeah. is like uber fan of Dane Reynolds you know For sure. it's sort of like yeah. you know Dane's one of the most gifted surfers on the planet and yeah and he would draw a huge audience uh, 100% yeah and I think the question for us, you know, as we sort of continue to focus on this three-tier system that we have and continue to grow it and, and stabilize it, um, those opportunities become very obvious. You know, now that we have proper off-seasons for the CT, yeah. what can you do in the off-season? You know, can you do something interesting like Kelly did at the Maldives? Yeah. And or, it's like, okay, great. And it's yeah. like, what are those opportunities? And I think that oftentimes when you're trying to focus organizations – you get the shiny ball. You know, do you remember the movie Up? Yeah. You know, squirrel. Everybody, the yeah. squirrel, the dog gets distracted by the squirrels. We use that analogy around here a lot of time. Yeah. It's yeah. just sort of, you get, you get, you get distracted <laughs> with the squirrels. And it's like, okay, stop looking at the squirrels. Let's get back over here. So, yes, I think this is my call. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, one last question. We, yeah. heard, we heard Kelly wants to create a Masters Tour, 50 and over. Oh, does he? And he wants another 11 titles in yes. the Masters division. Amen. <laughs> only, only if you and I both are getting wild cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just well, kidding. there should be, and um, there should be like an industry heat. You know, industry heats. We've done a few of these, if you've seen. We've done some of these Legends heats. Legends heats are good. Yeah, and we do them in the middle of the broadcast. It's something that's interesting. People kind of gravitate to these Legends heats. We had, we had one with Aki and Bells, remember? Yeah. 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 Hey, KT. Ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Um, will that's you throw my bag together for me? I'll be right up there. <clears throat> Thank you. What? Uh, no, I'm talking about like, okay, 
Kelly's got outer known. Yes. Dane's got former. Yep. Uh, uh, Julian Wilson Julian has Rivia. Rivia, yeah. Um, who else? Like, well, John's got John. John's got Florence. John's got Florence. Yeah. yeah. So that would be sick to have like yeah. a. We could, but the, all those things become. And then the reps. All the, <laughs> and, and the people who work. I see yeah. where the angle's coming from. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You know, surf ranch or tabby. I, I was gonna say, and it's a surf ranch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, listen, I appreciate the fact that surf ranch only came up twice at the beginning and the end. It's yeah. like it usually comes up. Well, like every you know, five minutes. we're gonna start a uh, a pool tour. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, world pool tour. Yeah. Well, guys, this was yeah. uh, tremendous. We know fun. you got to go. Yeah. You're a busy man. Uh, we appreciate all the time. And yeah. this was that very was, interesting. That was awesome to hear your background. And Well, thanks for the opportunity. You know, it, it was really cool to hear what your your vision is for well, WSL. Thanks. And I appreciate we're, it. We're fucking surf turkeys. We all are. <laughs> all our fans are, too. And, yeah. Not fans, but listeners. And, yeah, we we, uh, we appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, thanks Keep up the good work. All thank right. you. Peace let's out, do it, Let's do it again. Yeah. Yes, please. All right, thank you, guys. Thank you. Peace. That was awesome. Bonsai Bowls, hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls, go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill, clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade Shade Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 